audibly exasperated by the fact that there's fucking fruit flies. I don't know where they come from, but fruit flies around are the worst. Yeah, especially when they're like they they get like literally right in my face. I'm like, you're already living here rent free. Like the balls, just the sheer audacity of getting yeah, in my maybe face. Maybe they're coming by to thank you. What, like, so, like how, uh, like how the random coins you find in your couch are spiders paying rent? Yeah. Uh, okay. Like I haven't just cashed in three years. Why am I finding this quarter here? <laughs> <laughs> Better than cats, but they don't try anything. On that note, I watched a spider fight yesterday on my back porch. Like, we have, this, we have this orb weaver spider who has made a massive web, and I haven't destroyed it yet because it's kind of cool. And uh, this other spider was on it, and I was like, oh, shit, she's moving real fast. And then, blah, blah, and then the other spider just goes, and slowly falls out of the web. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, wow, that was fast. <laughs> like, she's went over and murdered the You have the, the most shit powerful out. spider on your... Backyard. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> I have the Goku of spiders on my porch. Hey, everyone. This is the JSA Clicks Podcast episode number. I'm not starting to keep track now. Why would I? I didn't do it before. I'm not doing it now. Can you get that background noise? Because there's nothing I can do about it. We discuss the competitive hero books environment, as well as only alternate form, uh, formats that are currently relevant. I'm your host, Jay Solomon, and today I'm joined by my co-hosts, who are both absolutely quantifiably, objectively much better hero books than me. We have current, like, three years running because of the pandemic, Canadian national champion, Devin. I think it stops counting at a certain point, but hello. <laughs> and we have the... Uh, Former last American Canadian national champion, uh, PJ Bowen. That was a weird sentence. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> well, I have to say that because you don't win any. That's like the only thing you've won. You never win anything. I didn't even win that. It didn't actually happen. By the way, uh, related, congrats for winning the tournament the other weekend. <laughs> oh, yeah, thanks. Yeah. I also read the article today. It was good. Yay, yay Veronica Kale. Yeah, that's yeah. the only reason I played the team. Because I want to play <laughs> You can find that on Not Sponsored, the uh, Majestic site. Uh, not sponsored, but it, uh, they have good articles. So today we're continuing our series on general HeroClick strategy with onboard tactics. So we have done team building. We have done archetypes. We are going to do like onboard tactics. We have uh, We're going to do maps at some point. And the other one I can't remember because I'm bad at this game. That's but, about uh, it for yeah. now, but I'm sure we'll. Oh, is that oh, okay? I, I mean, okay. I'm sure we'll more. continue the um, general theme of episodes. I really enjoy doing these, so probably. I mean, we we we, we can't really do an episode about math, but like fully, but like, we can talk about math. <laughs> probably and, not. Yeah, I mean, math yeah. is you know a fairly important of any part of any game that involves probability or anything. Yeah. So. Uh, Devin has a done all these lovely uh, write-ups for us. So he will talk us through this uh, strategy stuff that I've heard that uh, some people who actually play the game like to use. <laughs> yeah, so um, we so we've talked about team building. Um, this episode is titled "Onboard Tactics." Um, that encompasses like specific little things that you can do while playing to make your chances better um a lot of like little 
specific tactical ideas are too specific to what figures you're playing and what environment you're playing in and stuff to cover in this kind of episode. So we won't be going into, you know, body blocking in with a specific figure or anything like that. Uh, we're more talking about things that happen while you're playing a game of hero clicks and how you should respond to them. Um, so all of the stuff that we are discussing today will happen, will be stuff that happens during a game of hero clicks, but it, we probably partially because that kind of stuff is generally better discussed with a visual medium and partially because it's hard to generalize a lot of it. Um, we probably won't be discussing too much random specific little tactical ideas that you might see. Um, but overall, we're going to be talking about the strategy. Uh, so the first thing that we have um, is talking about knowing the options of your team. So really important for any team that you're trying to run is knowing exactly what it can do. Um, that's gotten a little easier lately and harder in some circumstances, but in general, because uh, you don't have ID cards anymore, which made the options that you had on any particular turn uh, much, much, much larger. <laughs> um, but now, uh, if you don't have a team that can reliably call in a trouble alert, then generally you just have to know what your figures that are on the board can do. Um, one of the most important things to start with is before you sit down to any game of Heroclix, you you should know what your team can do and have a general plan of what you're actually going to do on the first at least turn. Um, and after that, it depends partially on what style of team you have. So if you're playing Alpha Strike, you probably have your first two or three turns mostly mapped out where, you know, your first turn is equip whatever objects you have, your second turn is run across the map and attack your opponent, and your third turn is try to clean up whatever's left, whereas if you're playing a more balanced team, then it might depend fairly heavily on what you're facing. Um, but no matter what, you should have some sort of plan for your team. I feel like you should have at least turn two, like, you know, because if you assume turn one is your opponent's immune, you have to know what you're doing. You know, your first turn of engaging, but basically, yeah. Like, yes and, and no. Like, yeah. you should, so it's kind of like, in my opinion, between your guys' answers, you should have a general idea of what you expect to do turn two with all builds. And then, obviously, you have to be able to adjust that if your opponent does something not along the lines of obvious play. Right, I mean, like, what you're, you're, what you want to do if you get to do what the point like you know if you have an alpha strike team it's you do your alpha strike like what you want to do assuming that your preferred game plan you know happens i guess yeah and and also you'll not infrequently have teams that should have multiple turn twos where either you're the aggressor or the defender or um something or some third thing uh i like there are some teams where i really haven't had a turn two because they were so flexible in what they could do, especially in the era of ID cards, that I just, you know, my general turn two plan was try to score some points in some way or something like that. But I, it was pretty much impossible to do something specific, like the double trader gardener collector team. It's like, you know, you had a general turn two planned against a specific team. Like if you were facing a Kobic team on an open map, you were going to run over and steal the cube. Um, but in general, the, the team didn't have a clear enough strategy to have a turn two specifically. Right. I, have I mean, being versatile of... is kind of like a plan. 
Yeah, I mean it's true, for sure. And and you should think, and you should even if you're versatile, you should think about what your general best options are, so that you can shortcut it a little bit in game and not have to go over. All right, here are all of the options that I possibly have. Which one sounds good this game? Where like you know, back when Cyclops ID card was around, even though the team was flexible, not infrequently I was calling in the Cyclops ID card on turn two because it was just one of the better offensive options that the team had access to when it was still across the map and could, you know, get right up into somebody's face. Well, yeah, I mean, you were planning on using the Cyclops ID card because it was good on, like, the current Legacy card one, which is trash. <laughs> it's no, okay I'm to kidding. be. It's, it's, I, I know. I'm just messing with PJ. It's actually good, and people that say otherwise are a little... They're just know, mad that wrong. it changed. <laughs> they're, they're just hate change. That's all it is. Uh, trying to think of things to say in addition to what Devin said. Um, no, I, I, I guess it's worth really... saying that if this might, I mean, I would say this is too specific, but this is like the game now. If you have a swap team, you're going to want to prepare for what your swap options are going to be, and then you're going to want to have plans for, you know, the turns for those ones. Like, obviously, if you're playing Hellfire Club and, you know, one option is triple uh or double black heart or whatever then that's gonna be different than your turn one with your exodus gene or whatever so i guess this all applies to those individual swaps as well you should be prepared to have in mind what those swaps are going to be and what those uh teams actually do themselves because they're almost like different teams yeah those teams can get uh fairly complicated fairly quickly if you have enough sideboard options but uh so if you're going to play one of those, you should really think it through both. For those, you should really think through what your possible swaps are, depending on matchup, and what your general plan is for each swap. Um, because figuring that stuff out on the fly can be really difficult. Yeah, I mean, from what I recall, uh, Easton, uh, that, at that recent tournament, had one swap-out option. Correct. Every time, but I'm sure... Yeah. Yeah. That both of you, yeah. when you played your Hellfire or whatever swap teams, had uh, your own specific uh, exact lineups in mind, I, I presume. Yeah, we had like 12 different lineups. I think I only had like wow. six, but yeah, I had a lot. <laughs> wow. Partially just so I could keep track of which figure each figure was replacing when I swapped them out. Because so the, just for people listening, the easiest way to do that, only track the ones that w are worth more than what they are on the board. The others don't matter. Yeah, that's fair. Because I was tracking them all for like two rounds, and I'm like, why am I even writing these down? I'm just going to write down. These are just worth 30. That's it. <laughs> yeah, these are just still worth 75 points. Why does that matter? <laughs> yeah. And like anything you swap in is worth, if it's worth more than the thing you swapped out for, it still is worth the number of points it's worth. So exactly. your, exit, your 95 point exit loss is not going to yeah. worth less than that. As, as funny as that. Uh, but you, you, you did bring up an interesting point about uh, planning for being the aggressor versus the uh, defender. Uh, definitely have plans for solid plans or if you go first. Or if you go second, like these days, going second will probably be your barrier consideration a lot of the time. Yeah, or how to as spread well out. As well uh, as, you probably don't want to build a team where if you lose your equipment, you lose. That sort of thing, so. 
Yeah. Yeah, especially these days. Uh, and I guess also, to some degree, um, maps. We're not really talking about maps, but you probably want to prepare for your planned map and for non-optimal maps and stuff. Yeah, you should definitely have a plan for, like, your worst map. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these days, I wouldn't say map selection is limited, but there's definitely some core... It kind map. of always I mean, that's, is. That's kind of always true, yeah. There's some specific maps you're going to see, you know, like, if you're... There's six maps that get played at any given time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And even then, there's pretty clear tiers to popularity in amongst those, usually. Yep. Yeah, like what? I think, well, yeah, like, pretty. I mean, we talked before about how there was a, a time where everybody had Mock Time and Star Trek Underground, which are the flip sides of the same map, and now it's a negative zone in Desert Wedding a lot of the time. I mean, negative zone more than Desert Wedding, but still. I think it's negative zone and Otherworld Castle are on, like, every other build. <laughs> yeah, that's what you said. You 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 had on your, t- your last team in your article. You had your location bonus, and you were like, ah, ne- negative zone and the castle. Exactly. Yeah, I made a pretty big mistake when I was building my last team, which was not including an indoor map. Uh, that was really dumb. It I was been, um, negative zone should have been on that build. I was talking through a build with Adam. I'm like, okay, what what other two maps am I gonna be playing? And this was like the plus eleven scientist team that had Teen Lantern. And Molecule Man, so I had minimum uh, six wears a barrier of turn if I really wanted. And he's like, why would you play anything other than a negative zone? I'm like, but you shouldn't not have other maps. So, yeah, you definitely want to. <laughs> That's where you pick maps. You never know. Play on. I was like, I'm just going to pick Datamine in King's Tomb. Or, sorry, no, uh, Datamine and Ancient Hole just because, like, my opponents would be like, well, first of all, you're not good on those maps. Second of all... I don't want to pl- just like trip them out a little bit because like I haven't thought of game. a build that wants to play on data mine yet, so I figured it was a good troll sort of move. But yeah, basically yeah, so, plan for uh, plan for the maps. <laughs> so one of the other um, big things about having a plan of attack is knowing <laughs> the like lesser used options on your team. Um, it's really easy to forget about like you know your sideline your lesser used sideline treble alerts or uh, special outwits on the Hellfire Club chases or <laughs> like, you know, some trait that never actually comes up, but just like, right, like what? scenarios like your characters, in which those your characters down with like three traits and special powers and stuff. And yeah. yeah, I played an entire tournament with Jason before I realized he was immune to outwit. Like the, I was going to say he was actually, I was going to say he figure. has, yeah, cause he has three traits. He has the mind control trait. He has the pog trait and then he has the leadership Protected out or safeguard out wet trait. So yeah, yeah. There's yeah. there's a lot going on in that figure. Um, but just like and he technically general, he technically has a special power, but it's the most useless special power of all time. So <laughs> I mean, it's an okay defense power, I guess. Uh, I mean, it, I'm seeing it. It, may, it should be a standard power, but yeah. Yeah, because it's both super senses and mastermind. You can't use them together. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So. One thing that I find helpful for remembering those kinds of like really niche effects when I am preparing really hard for a tournament. Obviously, I have played entire tournaments where I've forgotten them because I just like haven't cared enough to go through them. But if you're trying to win a tournament, I find it uh, really useful to think through scenarios in which those lesser used effects actually matter. So that when you come across one of those scenarios or something that is superficially similar, it you actually remember it rather than trying to on the spot 
read through your cards and go, oh yeah, Jason has an outwit for only black and special powers, right? Just like think of a figure in the meta where outwitting a special power is really, really useful. And yeah, I, I can count on one hand the number of times I've seen people remember that Gene has outwit for black or special powers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it comes up. There's so much going on in these games. It's it's crazy. <laughs> like, it's so easy to... Like, Outwit is one of the best powers in the game. But those powers are one of the easiest to forget. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, especially situational Outwit that depends on what your opponent has. Like, yeah. how are you supposed to remember that? So, so a good way to... Uh, what I started doing, Outwit something no matter what. Right? Mm-hmm. Even if they don't have it, I'm going to Outwit Outwit on your piece. Well, I don't have Outwit. doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> you might get it you never know like it just gets you into the habit of remembering i have that power to use every single turn yeah sort of like rolling leadership even when there's nothing to take tokens off yep. of and stuff like that yeah just, that actually that came up in uh heroclix rules chat the other day people were talking about the whole rolling something you wanted to like was like asking about rolling dice on roll 20 until you get a low result and then like okay i'm gonna roll now whatever we were talking but then somebody was like well, why is it okay to roll leadership, whatever, if you don't have them? Like, well, that's if you're doing it quickly, you know. I mean, also, it's a power quickly, that you're entitled to use, whether it has an effect yeah. or not, isn't. Yeah, your result is relevant. Yeah. You should just you shouldn't just be like, well, okay, the well, I'm gonna roll leadership. There's nothing with this in the figure. rules that says yeah. that leadership has to be able to take a token off to roll it. Like, there there could be a special power that cares when other characters succeed leadership checks, right? Yeah, know, that's come up. Like, People have asked, well, oh, well, my character has an effect that has an effect if they succeed. What if they can't pull a token off? So actually, yeah, that that, that does come up. So Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's really good advice. Um, so think through potential scenarios and also just use your powers even if they're not useful. <laughs> just yeah, helps you remember that you have them. Yeah, don't dilly. Well, sorry, sorry. There's sure. the, the one exception that happened to me is uh, I had a character with pick and attack power, and they didn't attack that turn, but I picked it, and then they got mind controlled. So don't literally <laughs> always do that. But yeah, most that has happened time. to me as well. There's no reason for you not to pick Smoke Cloud. Like, there's no reason. <laughs> no, but like in this case, I picked a good attack power. But yeah, pretty that, much. Like, but say that's just you being dumb. I mean, what are you gonna do about that? Okay, but I like, did that with um, Algerdan's Perplex back in the day. Just like used it on damage a bunch of times, and then got my character mind controlled and hit for five in the face. And I was like, ah, yep. huh. whoops. Yeah. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> I just had to make fun of both if he said it first. <laughs> so, yeah. so I, I, I never yeah. think be good. If I ever did, then sorry, I'm lying. Oh come on, you top gun muster. You're in. You don't play very uh, much. Good you do. I think that covers that section of uh, what yeah. you had in mind, right? Yeah, so having a general plan of attack and just like using a couple of those strategies to remember lesser used effects so that when they come up in games, you actually remember to use them. Because even if they're lesser used, it doesn't mean they can't turn a game in your favor when they are relevant. Um, all right, so the second thing I want to cover is how to prioritize targets. Um, this can be really difficult. So not infrequently have, like, let's say you're playing a team with a Sky Tyrant on it. You have an Alpha Strike that can kill, like, anything on their team. But how do you choose what to kill? <laughs> it's really, really difficult to figure out um, if you haven't played against that specific team a lot and if you're just not super experienced in the game in general, who, what you should be attacking. So 
my my number one rule for prioritizing targets generally is that I kill colossal retaliators. Um, unless like the the thing that I'm doing doesn't allow them to retaliate, or um, you know, in the specific Sky Tyrant example, the retaliation might not be close enough to the rest of my team, so it might not matter. But generally, if I'm making an attack, I really want to kill colossal retaliators first because leaving them alive is just a recipe for dying the next turn. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're also, like, these days they're going to be worth a fair amount of points anyway. It's not like the ten day, the days of giant girls, like, what, minimum? I mean, excluding, like, Green Proteus, because he's not really a retaliator, but, like, basically that's going to get you at least 25 points, so it's probably a reasonable target anyway. I just want an event with two Green Proteus. <laughs> no, no, but, I, I mean, know. I also, I love I love saying he's not a priority target, but, like, but, yeah, Green Proteus is no. awesome. And, and not yeah, to mention 25. that, like, Dark Phoenix isn't just a retail because she can attack normally, so yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the other yeah. <laughs> the other reason to attack retaliators first frequently is that they die. <laughs> like they're all one click long. So, you know, when you're making your attacks, you with like Sky Tyrant specifically, you can probably kill things with longer dials, but with a lot of things, like if you're playing robots and throwing a danger room magneto across the board. The thing that you're actually going to score points by killing is going to be the retaliators. And nicely, that's also the best thing to kill because it's one of the most threatening things on your opponent's team once you've made an attack. Yeah, so... Um, I, I have a little bit of a, I guess, fundamental difference myself than what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I don't prioritize retaliators that high. Um, except for Dark Phoenix, because she's an exception. Um, but, and I also don't prioritize killing figures. Um, I think you look for problematic pieces, and you remove their effectiveness, but you don't have to kill them. Like, to me, yeah, that is killing true. Sky Tyrant and hitting him for one is the exact same thing. <laughs> like, once Sky Tyrant takes one, he's pretty ignorable. He is a below-average charge piece at that point. <laughs> so yeah, that is. it's it's understanding, like, okay, I'm playing a, a team that's, you know, 11 figures on it. I can't let Sky Tyrant pop off on my team. Hitting him for one is the absolute priority. Like, you have yeah. to do proper threat analysis based on what you are playing um, and also based on what they're playing. If they have one outwit and your team is semi-vulnerable to being outwit, kill it problem solved <laughs> like yeah if there's some out. disruptive element on their team that's specifically good against your team and you can kill it first like you're playing animal alpha strike and you're going across the map against a lord doom team you have to kill that lord doom yep <laughs> right well the if thing you're targeting with, something um, else then uh well the thing with killing or not killing figures that a lot of the figures these days are so i mean i guess this is more specific whatever but like characters are so shallow dial that like you almost can't kill not kill them like right. and there are exceptions things that must die like when i sit down at a table molecule man is immediately the highest priority to kill target. like it doesn't matter yeah, yeah. Playing what you're playing that has to die first yeah because if your opponent ever gets ahead in the game and they have a molecule man on the board then how are you coming back yeah. and, and he's stealth out with even even outside yeah. of what he does like even outside of it, yeah, and then like, if you hit him instead, then and don't kill him, he gets one perplex. So yeah. yeah. 
that is one that has to die to be ineffective. But like, you know, changing what support right. powers they have changed the entire reason the piece is on the build, right? No one plans for a piece to be like, I'm gonna play this molecule man because he has perplex on click two that I can't push to. Like that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. So changing their power sets or even just outwit controlling can really help understand your kill priority. So like for the deity team I just played last weekend, I had Scarab. So I was Hitting able. Sky Tyrant for one was pretty easy. <laughs> well, so no, I mean, not even that. Like I played against uh, Dan's Bat Doom team that Tommy Lytle was playing. And I mean, I won maps, so that was a huge help. But I was able to go do my alpha, and then I, I could have got his forearm doom in it, but I was like, you know what? I can just ignore him because I can outwit his charge. Mm. So things like that can really help you understand how you need to prioritize your kills. When normally that guy's pretty high on the priority list because you want to get your actions back. Yeah, the last tournament I played, I was uh, facing an Immortal Hulk team, and I ignored Immortal Hulk for most of the game because I knocked him to a non-charge click. And I yep. had a Dark Phoenix to just sidestep away from him. So he just wasn't threatening. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, so when I yeah when we say um, which target... So when we're talking about which target you're going to attack, I frequently say kill. But PJ's right. It's not actually a super helpful shorthand because... What it really means is make sure it's not relevant to the rest of the course of the game. Um, if you can kill it, you score points. And obviously, scoring points makes you more likely to win. So you you shouldn't like choose not to kill something. But um, not infrequently, making something not very not effective for the rest of the game can be better than killing it. Like, for example, the Immortal Hulk. Hitting him again and putting him back on charge actually would have made things much worse for me than ignoring him for the rest of the game. Like, trying to yep. kill him would have made the game much much harder <laughs> right it's 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 just a matter of uh, assessing their team and seeing what the problem is and then dealing with it if that means killing it you kill it but whatever they have that is a problem for you you deal with them in the appropriate manner Honestly, yeah and there, an easy rule yeah and also and, note, uh, that assessment can change like throughout the course of the game hmm. like uh, you could have a piece die that all of a sudden makes something else a bigger threat that he has. Yeah, um, like if your or, scarab dies eventually, then that forearm, then that forearm exactly. is suddenly <laughs> much more threatening yeah, than it was. Exactly. So, like, it's it's okay for like what you consider your biggest threat turn two to not be the same thing you consider your biggest threat turn five. So, yeah. I think that this, what we're discussing right now, is the difference between a good player and a not good player. It's proper threat analysis. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of the big ones. Um, I've definitely played against players who come across and attack something that I don't care about and then get retaliated on immediately and lose the game on, like, turn two. Yeah, that's how I won a I'm lot like, of my games with robots. Right. People just didn't understand what to attack. <laughs> and, then, and then I'm like, well, Superman hits you for five. And they're like, oh, should have killed the 10-point Superman first, I guess. I hit Magneto six times. Five times, whatever. But yeah, and I wait, will that didn't matter. With, I will agree with you begrudgingly with my uh, interjecting that I think that uh, figure analysis relates to that. So, because yep. I think also, people are just I not mean, good at analysis of if figures are good. So yeah, I mean, if you can't analysis, if you can't tell if a figure is good on preview, then uh, sure, I'll, we'll go along with what you're saying. I just mean strictly on the map. Like we're not talking about any. Yeah, map, but right. But I also think that relates to like team building and like other. It, it, it all comes together for me. But yeah, the most powerful sure. figures in a vacuum are not necessarily the most threatening things on the board in that specific circumstance. 
No, but I also think that the best player in the game should also be able to build, which also, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. I'm going to, it's not really, it's not relevant. I just like my soapboxes. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, for example, like commissioner is a very, very strong piece, but once you're on the map, you're not prioritizing killing it. On I, I guess unless your opponent didn't generate the rookie or something. Exactly. I made a meme about about him specifically. You're like you're you're beating your opponent and all he has stuff is a twenty five foot figure, combo ambulance, but not for me. Here's rookie. Like <laughs> if your opponent hasn't generated rookie, then maybe he's then maybe commissioner is the biggest threat on the board. I mean they should yeah, I mean it depends. Like yeah, the end of the game when they've already t- you brought him in and they've and you've taken him out, yeah, sure, but And Commissioner, yeah. potentially, if you're using him to make your Scarabs attack multiple times and stuff. <laughs> That's true. That figure is quite something. Um, yeah, so there's another... So mostly we've been talking about when you're playing a team where your goal is to, um, you know, make attacks and kill or cripple the um, best, the most threatening figures on your opponent's team. But there are also styles, of, like really defensive styles of team, where really... What you care about is scoring points so that you can continue being defensive. Um, like the double Invisible Woman Wolverine team, uh, there may be something on your opponent's team that's like super threatening to that team specifically, like a Maggot or something. But if there isn't, then your target priority changes completely, and what you're trying to kill is just something that scores you points. <laughs> you really just need to find whatever on your opponent's team can actually get you points and kill that if you're playing that specific style of team. Yeah, I mean, for, I was going to say, if you can send a uh, Danger Magneto up and kill two 30-point things, then you're in a position where they have to catch up, and you can kind of sit there until they deal five damage, at five, they hit him five times or whatever. But yeah, basically. Killing two Dark Phoenixes is pretty strong. Yep. Um, so I have here, and this is a huge generalization and depends on what you're facing. But I have written that generally I think that killing one figure is better than dealing damage to multiple. And this depends entirely on what dealing damage to multiple is actually doing. So, you know, if your energy exploding and you're hitting like a sky tyrant and taking him off of his special charge and, you know, killing a flash or two, then obviously that's much better. But if your opponent's playing a bunch of relatively long dial figures that don't really change much and you have the option of dealing five to one figure and actually killing it or taking a couple clicks off the rest and having no follow-up, then gen- in general, right, unless, I think it's better to do the latter. Unless that multiple attack will make them all useless, in which case you're probably fine. Yeah, I mean, if their dials change a lot and taking two off of Right, I mean, these days, an energy explosion... You could uh, an energy explosion could be penetrating from black cards. So two penetrating to a whole team could do a lot, right? So how frequently did you find yourself using energy explosion versus single attacks with black card, PJ? <laughs> uh, a lot. Uh, honestly, it was what I yeah. did the most. Poor Chad. <laughs> poor poor Chad. <laughs> what was he playing? Yeah. Uh, he was playing animals and he moved up too far. So I used my single square barrier from Scarab to make sure he couldn't have full map reach by blocking the hammer ITK. Um, so he knew that it was going to happen. So that means he, he had to move up, but he moved up too far. So I energy exploded twice and then Giganta retailed and killed his whole team except for one maggot. Oof. Yeah, that did yeah. do it. 
Yeah, so if that's your situation where you're using energy <laughs> explosion, do that. And like the uh, game no, that I, I played. I used sorry. it almost, ex- I think I used it more often than I just attacked. Yeah, I think I did too with um, Blackheart specifically. But it's penetrating, it's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, and penetrating Quake off Sky Tyrant is very similar, where yep. really if you're flurry penetrating Quaking, you're going to kill multiple things most of the time. So that's yeah. going to be better than your single target attack, almost always. Yep. Uh, it's different if you're like using some normal energy explosion on a bunch of figures with reducers and like a couple and figures that it actually deals damage. And it's to. also a big but, difference between do you have a three damage or do you have a five damage? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so <laughs> that point that I wrote here is a gross generalization, um, but I do stand uh, I, I do stand by the latter half of the thing that I wrote here, which is that you should attempt to remove threats rather than spreading out your attacks and dealing a little bit of damage to multiple things that don't incapacitate them in any way not remove threats is just kind of subjective considering that it can mean making taking a figure from a threat to useless but yeah it's not untrue yep yeah um okay so now that you've figured out what you should be attacking um the the next thing is what you should be protecting on your team so this is what I'm calling here a win condition. This is how you're going to eventually finish the game. And if you are an Alpha Strike team, then you're not really protecting anything. You're just running across the map to attack. But there are some types of figures that if you still have them at the end of the game when your opponent has very little left, you're just going to win. Like uh, I played a game where I healed up my Dark Phoenix and protected her with reflexes on defense and stuff and made sure that my opponent couldn't take her out. And then by the end of the game, she was attacking with like, you know, a 12 and four and taking out all of my opponent's figures when they couldn't really do much to damage her. And, you know, I had like 50 total points of figures left to my opponent's 175, but I was in the stronger position because my Dark Phoenix was by far the most powerful figure on the board. Yep. Yeah, and and you gotta under and people also need to understand that a win condition doesn't have to be something that deals damage. Just like we were talking about earlier, molecule man's a win condition. If the game state hits a certain point where your opponent can no longer deal with molecule man, all of a sudden he's the best figure on your team, and you should just win. So yeah, that's something important to understand as well. Um, uh, it doesn't sure. mean like oh, this is my mission point piece. That's my win condition. <laughs> that's not well. That is a very literal example, but <laughs> no, not a, not not. Right, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. If you were playing an Ares he's team, a win condition. Yes. Very literally, yeah, Ares is your win yeah. But other than that. He's, yeah, he's a win condition because he secures your currently, you know, he, he maintains your victory state. If they can't get through it, if they can't get to a winning game state because of him, then yeah, pretty much. Yeah, Molecule Man is actually a really good example of a non-damage dealing win condition. Um, so let's just use an example just to help make sure that people understand what we're talking about here. So your opponent also has a Molecule Man, and um, other than that, they really only have like a Doom and a couple of Flashes and a Dark Phoenix, and you take out the couple of Flashes and a Dark Phoenix with an energy explosion that you make early in the game, and then you use your Flash to charge their Molecule Man, and then they kill those things that you sent across the map, and then they're missing a Molecule Man and only really have one attacker left, and you have a Molecule Man. So you just get to sit in your starting area and barrier for the rest of the game because they can't get through it. So you've just won the game by or, your, or just the fact that you got a, a little bit ahead, not much, a little bit ahead, and then had a Molecule Man. 
Right. Like, I don't know if this really comes up at other in any other place, but like, if you're winning by only a few points and doing anything other than securing and maintaining your current win will jeopardize. I think this is based on a Paris article that he wrote, but basically if you're winning by like, let's say five points, but doing anything different will mean that you have a chance to lose. Then that's just not the right thing to do. So yeah, it, there, there could definitely be cases where molecule man will just win you the game for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to um, talk in more detail about how to play when you're losing and when you're winning a little later on. So that'll be interesting, but molecule man is definitely Barriering in with multiple man when your opponent doesn't have enough stuff to get through it is a great example of how to play when you're winning and a great example of a figure that in certain matchups you should be making sure doesn't die because it's the way that you actually win the game. All right. Um, yeah, so now we're going to talk about positioning. Um, so this is a huge topic and we can't possibly cover everything, but we'll go over a few really interesting things uh, that I enjoy about positioning and just try to cover the basics of how you should be thinking about positioning. So the first is always know where your opponents can place figures to attack and their overall threat range. Right now in the meta, that's huge. So staying out of your opponent's threat range is really hard to do. Um, right now, it's really usually in terms of threat range positioning. It's more about who has the initiative, who got the first turn and gets to go first, or who has enough barrier to survive their opponent's attacks. But once those alpha strikes are over, you still need to know where your opponent can follow up with the rest of their pieces so that you can make sure that they can't kill the rest of your team after dealing some amount of damage with their alpha strike. Yeah, I mean, right now, getting hit in your starting area is a matter of only 50 points, so. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't know. I was on a podcast recently. It might have been with you guys. I don't remember. But I said that, like, the middle of the maps don't even have a point in functioning anymore. <laughs> like, games just happen in one of the two starting areas. Yeah, pretty much. Not wrong. <laughs> I played multiple games against uh, Varia, uh piloted by Joji in the Brad cash bash tournament that I played and literally every attack that got made in both of those games was in either his starting area or mine. Yeah, that's right. I mean, how the meta is right now. It's so weird. Like, yeah, I mean, when I you have, think, when you have, but, when you have characters that hit your opponent's starting area, when you have a character that attacks from your starting area. Yeah. I would like a, it if they pulled back a bit on the mobility on threats. Yeah. I prefer to actually have to position, but, oh well, yeah, <laughs> That would be nice. Like, make make charge, not half speed. Make just charge six. Yeah. <laughs> or just stop printing special powers that let you charge across most of the map. Yeah. I mean, yeah, who knows that know. uh, not having hypersonic would mean that uh, we would still have really, really threatening uh, threat ranges. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and well, they keep making hypersonic pieces just with charge. Like Sky Tanner. Which is better. <laughs> well, Sky Tyrant's not even that. He's essentially a 22-speed hypersonic speed, so... Oh, no. I know. That's what I mean, though. Like, they're just making yeah. better hypersonic built into charge. Yeah. yeah, I mean, now that now that hypersonic doesn't even have the uh, movement or the breakaway modifier, the charge is very... The flash is very... is just straight up better. Like, period. Yeah. So... Yeah. Ah, my kid said the word pizza for the first time. My boy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Good thing. He had for dinner, and he just saw the box and ran over to it. He's like, pizza. 
Everybody loves pizza. Learning early. Only at our time until Amazon Apple. Nice. Oh, Canadian. Wait. I mean, yep. Wait. Your kid does like pineapple on pizza? Yeah, ham and pineapple is his favorite pizza. Oh, I I love pineapple on pizza, and if that is controversial, I don't care because you're objectively wrong and don't enjoy life as much as I do. So (laughs) that's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) What were we talking about? Oh, anyway, uh, so um, we were talking about town reach. Uh, Some the advice I give to people when they're talking about you know like becoming more competitive, I say make sure you count what your opponent's reach is and then add one to it. (laughs) Always assuming something about the reach. Yeah, because if if you being one square farther back, you're still fine. Just be safer. Like it's fine, you know. Like it's okay. Yeah, unless be... it completely screws up your attack for the next turn that you've right. planned out in advance, then just do it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, what I like to do if is you're missing the I... one perplex that their figure has that you didn't notice was in a trait, then they still can't correct yeah. you. <laughs> or the two by two magneto, you know, like mm-hmm. little bumps that you just forget to account for. Yeah, or, you know, they can double TK with a yep. sidestep. Like, just being a couple squares. Knowing your opponent's reach is nice, but you're not always right. So, yeah. being if safe. You miss it by, if you miss it by, like, a whole TK, well, you're just screwed. Like, that, I can't help <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> but if you miss it by one, you know what? That happens all the time. I still do it. And I preach not to do it, and I still do it. I, I not infrequently ask my opponents at the end of my turn, hey, do you have a perplex? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Am I missing a perplex on your team somewhere? I think right. I'm not, but yeah, uh, yeah, what I, I like that. to do I is um I put a little like a marker down on the column that I'm safe or either I mean depending on your preference, either the column that they can hit or the column that you're safe in and go to there. Yeah. Yeah, nope. I mean marking it with an Yeah. Yeah. I guess these days that would probably be forgetting that like what, like the wall of arms gives giant reach, I think is like the main one you're gonna trip up. Well, and I think with 2x2 two two Magneto, we're seeing a lot more play lately. I guess because yeah. Hellfire Club, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah I see him yeah, a lot on themed, yeah. He's Good. the best player on those keywords, so. By far. Yeah, that figure's very good. Uh, yeah, so really, a lot of what you should be thinking about right now in terms of positioning is your defensive positioning. Um, so... A lot of the time, like we've been talking about right now, it's not, and, and in general, in the history of Heroclix, it hasn't been possible to make sure that your opponent can't attack anything on your team. Um, so really what you need to do with your positioning is, if you have so if you have enough barrier or whatever that you can make it so that your opponent can't attack anything on your team, do that, you're fine. You figured it out. But if you don't, what you really need to do is try to protect your most important figures, what we what we called your win conditions in the last thing, as much as possible. Um, there are a couple ways to do that. If you just have a little bit of barrier, which is enough to prevent your opponent from attacking at all, but enough to prevent your opponent from getting to certain areas, then you can make sure that your opponent can only attack. Like, I had to do this a bunch in um, with my Hellfire Club swap team. I, my opponent could only attack my 2x2 two two Magneto, because I used one barrier to protect all of my more important figures, and Okay, fine. If you want to kill my 25-point Magneto, I still have a backup TK from the 40-point Magneto. That's okay. Um, and the other thing that you can do, the other thing that you can do is uh, position your figures so that you're body blocking your more important figures. This is something that's really pretty important to do because it's actually much much easier generally to get through blocking. So if your opponent has like a Molecule Man or a, another attack to get through your barrier, 
that's much easier to do than it is to move aside an entire one of your figures to get through it. There's very few things with like improved targeting figures right now. Um, as long as there are enough figures around, your opponents can't just move through them. So even more reliable, I find, than blocking is body blocking with your less important figures to make sure that your opponent can't get to your more important ones. Although even, I mean, yeah, I feel like there's nothing, you, you really can't get 100% on anything, because, like, yeah, well, you can get rid of, they can get rid of blocking that, they can, two of the bigger attackers now have improved movement characters, like, yeah, you're gonna, yeah, I mean, you, you have shouldn't have a team can, where if you lose a single piece, it all falls apart, like. That too. Yeah, I mean, specifically these days, because you, like, are not going to get away with not losing anything, that's just going to happen. Yeah, it's it's just damage control. It's. Like, if you're going to get hit, make sure all of their decisions are bad. You yeah. know, like, like another a common line of play is, like, with Blackheart right now, put him next to whatever your bigger threat is, like, that you want to keep alive. So if they're going to try to hit both, then they have to take the Mystics. <laughs> as long as they don't have a Retaliator. Remember that people can retaliate once they take Mystics. <laughs> so, well, so kind of. Yes, they can. But generally in today's meta, something got placed if they're Alpha Striking you. Yeah, I mean that's fair. That is true. So, yeah, I think I think I think that at this point, since Sentinel retired, nothing, everything that Retaliator has, if nothing was already placed this turn, so that is an absolute a correct. That's a rule now. I think sure. so. Blackheart uh, is I, actually one of the notable exceptions to the something probably got placed if they're attacking you, since he can do full board oh, reach oh, by himself if it's useful. Oh, He's also somewhat vulnerable to barrier, though. Yeah, that is true for sure. I mean, he can open it, but if he had to, if for the full reach without help, he's vulnerable to barrier. Yeah. Yeah, you do have to TK him up so he can make two attacks if you want to get through barrier. Um, yeah, so really it's, yeah, so generally that's a very good advice unless it allows your opponent to retaliate on you. But like PJ said, that's not actually that common if it's like a full alpha strike. Um and just, yeah, it's it, it really is about damage control. It's about try to make sure that your opponent can't kill your most important figures that are going to win you the game for free with no nothing from you. Um, like, you know, if, if, you're, if my opponent sends their Sky Tyrant across the map and manages to hit only my 2x2 two two Magneto on that swap team, I'm actually pretty happy. He's not getting yeah. that far away because he only hit once. He hasn't scored his full points. I can pretty easily kill him in return with a black heart the next turn. Like that is totally fine. So that kind of positioning um, allows you to do much much better. Hopefully, <laughs> when you're getting hit by Alpha Strix, <laughs> which is all the time right now. Like yeah, you're going to be getting hit by Alpha Strix. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there are specific figures that help a lot with defensive positioning. Anything with Barrier, Harry Leland is a really interesting one. Um, but uh, overall, it's just protect the things that are going to win you the game and try to weather the storm of whatever your opponent's Alpha Strike is. Um, offensive positioning. I don't have a ton to say about this. Like, Obviously, you have to put your figures in squares that they can attack from. That's, And it depends entirely on what team you're playing to allow uh, you to do that, how far you can attack from, what attacks are best. Um, the one thing that I do have to say about it is that not every square that you actually attack from is exactly the same. Not every square is just as good as another square. You can just say, okay, well, I can attack from here, so I'm going to, but it's worth looking around for 
opponent's probability control lines of fire, um, terrain that you can stand in, how far you're actually moving your figure forward so that if you have like a dark phoenix, maybe your dark phoenix can move forward and get the figure you're attacking with and sidestep back a bit, and maybe that'll be better for your defensive positioning afterwards. Um, line of fire if you want to use telekinesis to bring your figure back after they've made an attack, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so to a certain extent, offensive positioning is a little simpler, but there's still definitely a lot of stuff that you want to think about when you're positioning your attacking character to make sure that... I actually think it's significantly more complicated, but it's at, at its uh, higher level. But like, it's a lot easier to just say, right? It, does that make sense? Like, you should know exactly what you're doing. You should know your optimal squares, but it's actually really hard to know. I've definitely put things exactly in the wrong square and had them be like probed an additional oh, yeah. time that I didn't see, and it's like, oh, well, uh, that lost me the game. <laughs> uh, I've recently started reverse engineering turns instead of like seeing where I can get to. And then picking, I will pick, this is the square I want to attack from. Can I get there? Yeah. But you have to make sure you can do that quickly. Because it is a big waste of time if the answer is no. <laughs> but <laughs> you need to, like, if it's obviously, like, five squares out of your reach, then you can't get there. But if it's close, you should at least check to see if it can happen. Because if that's the best square, it's the best square. Right, but, but, like, knowing if it's completely impossible or if it's plausible is also, like, knowing your team and intuition so you should be able to. Yeah, because it might so, just be a difference in a perplexed speed or range versus, uh, you know, attack, right? Like, little things yeah. like that. Yeah, and now that you can um, theme prob with the figure that you're attacking with, that positioning has gotten a little easier. Like, it's gotten less important that you can have lines of fire with the rest of your team to the figure that's attacking a lot of the time. Right. Uh, whereas before, squares that made it so that you couldn't see your own figure and your opponent couldn't see it for prob might be worse for you now they're quite a bit better so you should readjust your thinking if you've thought about it in that way before a little yep. bit yep good call yeah i mean i remember you know putting uh against micah the last worlds that happened i put a lockheed pog right on the edge of the map and got it prob got its attack probed by gardener and only needed a six to kill Groot and hit the first two times and then his second prop made me miss and that might have lost me the game I don't know <laughs> but it seemed like a I don't know I'll just attack from somewhere but you really do have to think about the specific square that you're attacking from and make sure that it's actually the correct one yeah and like another like again I'm going back to Blackheart because he's the you know flavor of the month yeah. right now you got to make sure you're not putting yourself into a square where they can easily block you off from generating Hellfire Club guards you know, like, uh, I'm going to go put myself in this room and then where I have, you know, I'm blocked in on three sides. So now all of a sudden, if I get body blocked, I can't make a guard. And that means Blackheart will just die. So, it's, yeah. you know, you Mastermind know fodder is pretty important is uh, survivability. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, if your opponent has a um, nine attack quake piece, maybe don't position your entire team beside it uh, just because its attack is low. I may have done that in a practice game against Jay once and got my entire Kobic team killed by a um, five-point by a suit attachment. <laughs> yeah, so things that don't necessarily... I'm just going to move into this room. No, whatever. It's not a big deal. Yeah, case. it was like, uh, it does nine though. attack. I have, like, two probs on it. It's fine. And he just rolled, like, two nines in a row. And I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so just because, you know, your opponent doesn't have great chances of attacks hitting 
doesn't mean you can totally disregard that the game element exists. You should still think about <laughs> think about it a little more and oh, figure out oh, whether there's sorry. more optimal positioning. I've accidentally almost messed this up a lot of times. I've won games because of this a lot of times. It makes sense to talk about it or at least throw it in somewhere if we're talking about uh, your own threat uh, assessment, your own positioning. Uh, you might have the positioning, but you your opponent might have immune, uh, a first turn immunity. So uh, be careful. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, I have, I have never well, done that I, I myself, actually, sure, but, but opponents have done it against me. I've had games where I've been doing it. Like I had a game against Paul and he was like, what are you doing? I'm like, Oh, can I not? He's like, yeah, you can not. But like, yeah, don't <laughs> lose a game on turn one by just moving up and being like, Oh, hi, just kill me, please. Yeah. I've had that happen to me so many times. I have yet to do it. I don't think, but man, like I went to an event in little rock once and then Char- Charlie Garz did it. And then like the very next round, DJ did it. And I'm like, guys, what are you doing? Yeah. I and in I'm like almost... small weekly events, I tell my opponents about it or like, you know, WKOs even I tell my opponents when they're doing it, I don't wait for them to actually move and say, Oh no, I have first turn immunity. <laughs> Cause it feels like a gotcha. Oh. See, I mean, yeah, I, I don't let them waste time on it. Like, at bigger I tournaments, I don't. Them. I kind of got you them in the bigger event. Like, this was like a regional. And I've done it at Canadian Nationals. Like, at, at, at one Canadian Nationals, was... not the one I won, my opponent moved their entire, like, Sam Cap, Doc Ock team across the map and called it something out. And then I was like, uh, yeah, I first turned immunity. So, like, I've done it at bigger events where I expect my opponents to know what they're doing. I definitely don't let them take it See, back. I, the, I let them roll you, you back. You can't presume to know what your opponent is doing. Maybe they do have a cool plan. Maybe they wanted to move there, but, like, right. I don't know. But I I, if them, I'm going to stop them, I would stop them before they start moving and waste any time. But don't do, don't lose the game because of that. That's a real, that'd be a real shame. Even if you have a, only a 1% chance of winning the game, you still have something. Don't, don't lose the game because of that. Yeah. Like, I, I always stop them after the move. Like, uh, they moved up, called stuff out, and I was like, all right, hang on. Back it up. I don't think you want to call out title Harley right now. <laughs> like, well, I want to energy explode your team, and I'm like, I'm sure you really want to do that, but you can't. <laughs> but you can't do that, so yeah. Yeah, well, to be fair, I know certain some people that can get that get annoyed or confused because, like, you can now use it. Because like, I guess 2016 or whatever, you could not even take a free action with a character, but now you can just as long as you didn't move. So, like, yeah. Just, the team I was I played, yeah, don't don't lose because of that. The team I played at that event, uh, my turn one, I held immunity with everyone, but it still took like four minutes to do. It, I had so yeah, many. So, moving yeah, my my main example is I was playing your Canadian Nationals winning team, and I did like all the stuff to spin up the doll, whatever, and I had the tank in front of the starting area, so that was out of immunity. And they Sam capped him, whatever, and they called out the chamber. I'm like, okay, you killed my tank, and he's like, what about the rest of them? I'm like, I they're all immune. It was like, oh, and this was like top eight of a WKO. I wasn't going to be like, I'm not going to throw a right. you know, like. And they're scoring points. Yeah. Oh, Maybe they yeah, meant to score eight. Yeah, he, he traded up on those points. That That's uh, that's for sure. But yeah. I will say so. some situations where I might commit an ID just to kill the tank. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. That could happen. That could absolutely Probably happen. not a chamber to poison it to death, though. No, probably and not. I wasn't trying to trip him up. That was just how the turn had to play out for whatever reason, but... Yeah, no, that's... Yeah, I get it. You... Yeah. 
and I, I have done it myself. I'm not saying that you're bad if you do. I've, I've, I've done it myself, and I only got away with it because my opponents were nice. So <laughs> I'll say you're bad if you do it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it feels really bad. I mean, mm-hmm. like, that's that's heartbreaking. So if that's right. an all-board strat, that's a, that's a topic we should talk about. Don't do dumb things. Yeah, that's <laughs> a very important thing. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so this is the most complicated of the things we're going to talk about. Uh, and this is something that's really hard to do unless you're a very, very experienced player, but it's building traps for your opponent. Um, so this is, you have a figure that you think that your opponent values killing much more highly than you value it yourself and that you think that your opponent has missed something about how you can respond to them killing it. Um, this is like really hard to set up. So it depends entirely on the matchup and on who you're facing and stuff. But I have had games where I have positioned a figure so that it can be attacked, So that and but I know that if my opponent does attack it, that I can kill like half of their team the next turn because they've just gone way out of position or something. I mean, and another common example of that is, you know, what Jay does with with the team he was playing, right? The the Dark Phoenix and uh, Latverian peasants. I mean, that was I stole that trick from Tyler, but go on. Yeah, whatever. Tyler doesn't count. Tyler's not good. You're better than wow. <laughs> my kid's driving a car on my nipples. I just wanted to say that on the oh, air. Oh my! <laughs> Always a good part of any podcast. So yeah, so like you can move up Dark Phoenix all uh, across the map uh, if you have the Latvian Village location bonus because you'll have bystanders that you're going to mastermind to that have immune. So it's like, hey, I moved my opponent up. My uh, my opponent moved their faker up for no good reason. I'm going to kill them. Oh, oh no, they masterminded it to a character that can't be. I mean, to be fair, it's not even that they it's not even that they have immune and they they can't be damaged. It's that they're immune. And they can't even be energy exploded or whatever, right? Like it's just like, yep. Yeah, so unless you're me and you do that, but you play you play this next blocking and try Sentinel's still legal. That's different. Yeah, that's different. Or they <laughs> control it away from the the fodder. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, good. like, I mean, to me, this just reads fringe piece. Like, just have fringe pieces. Also, uh, RTFC is a, a very important rule for this reason. Um, yeah. It really bothers me. Like, it bothers me when my opponents choose not to read my cards, then they act all surprised. I'm like, I, I offered you my, I mean, pre-pandemic, obviously. I'm like, here's my my whole stack of cards. You can read them. Time hasn't started yet. They're like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm like, then they're like, wait, what? I'm like, you, you needed to read the card, dude. Like... Yeah, you, yep. you you don't want to lose a game because you just decided not to read the card. If you know, if you genuinely know what the pieces do, then obviously. But you, you got to read oh, what I the cards do, and you know what the figures do. Especially these days, where it's not even like they were like, well, I didn't know that character had that stop click on that click or whatever. It's like you can look at the, you could look at everything. There's no hidden information anymore in Euro clicks. So there's no, there, there's not really any excuse. Outside of like a random crit hit or a crit miss, like there's no hidden factors anymore, really. So yeah, HeroClix is not a game of hidden information at all anymore. It is a game of a lot of information, <laughs> so it's easy to miss yeah. things anyway. Yeah. But none of it's it is hidden technically hidden. Yeah, <laughs> hidden in the many paragraphs of text on your opponent's cards. <laughs> yeah. um, one of my favorite examples of uh, falling into a, of 
one of my opponents falling into trap is uh, in like round three of your tournament last year, PJ, where everybody was playing Red Skull. Um, yeah. Both my opponent and I were playing Red Skull. Um, and my opponent was playing, we were on Great Mound, and my opponent was playing like really conservatively. So I just like put a figure I didn't care about up on the top of Great Mound where I knew his Red Skull could attack it, but I knew my Red Skull could single target Pulse Wave his if he went for it. So he went and killed my like 25 point figure that I didn't care about. And then I pulse waved his red skull and won the game. <laughs> so, great. Like there was just no, that's a trap where there was no disadvantage to trying it because the worst that could happen is that my opponent's like, yeah, that's not worth attacking and doesn't go attack it. So great. That's fine for me. There was no disadvantage to putting my 25 point figure where it could be attacked. And the best thing that could happen was that my opponent got their red skull killed by killing my 25 point figure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess this would definitely, I don't, I, you would differentiate between traps and bait, right? So, like. Only a, I, I, I think guess, they're pretty similar. <laughs> yeah, like, like we talked about the tank before, like, yeah, if you, like, yes, if your tank is a win condition, that's really good. But if you can throw your tank away in a way such that your opponent gives up their position and you win the game because of that instead, that's also pretty good. Yeah, and there's always, there's always pieces that people see that they overreact to. Like, I guess, what, Dark Phoenix now be one of them. Like, there's always going to be something where your opponent's going to, like, theoretically, irrationally be like, oh, crap, i got to deal we, with that. We had this uh, recently with Az. We were doing some testing for Huntsville. And he was like, it's kind of hard for me to kill multiple Dark Phoenixes. He's like, without just committing weird and then also dealing with their threats. And then we came to the realization that his team doesn't care about Dark Phoenix because his two attackers reduce penetrating. Right. So, like, they get an action token, but whatever. Right. And then, like, Jubilee's great size, so who cares? Like, it's probably just fine. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. you, know, it's, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. So if you're not... So th- these are all awesome, um, but if you're not super experienced and you're trying to do them, it's really easy to miss something in the other direction where you're like, all right, I've dangled this figure and made it look really tempting so that my opponent will attack it and put themselves out of position. And then they running shot forward and kill your figure and telekinesis themselves back and are perfectly safe. You're like, yep. right. That was just free. I've oh. been there. <laughs> I've been. My worst ever, which I can't remember now whether this was actually an, an attempted trap or me mispositioning, but I put a... Um, walking wood in range of scott crampton's vulture charge where if i hit where he didn't have an outwit on it so if i hit my shape change then i kind of just win because the vulture is sitting in the middle of the map um but i thought that the worst that could happen was that i get attacked once because i forgot that he had uh the psylocke id card which gave him exploit uh-huh. So the worst case scenario was way worse than I thought it was, and the best case scenario was the same, but it was still a two thirds chance the worst case scenario happened. <laughs> so it was it was a very bad trap. So it's really easy to trap yourself accidentally while attempting to trap your opponent if you don't actually know everything that your opponent can do. Okay, so um, did sorry, did anybody? I guess so. This is the end of the positioning section that I have here. Does anybody else have anything they want to say about positioning in general? I do. Um, right. Know when it's okay to break your formations. Um, like when you when you build a team, a lot of the times people get it in their heads that they have to be in this carry formation. 
that my enhancements have to be next to my people who shoot at all times. And you just need to know when it's okay for things to be spread out. Like, like too many times teams overcommit to staying together and they get punished for it. Against your black heart? Like against a gene bomb? <laughs> yeah. Like against the gene bomb or like against Blackheart, like uh, against Chad, he could have easily after he moved sidestepped all of his maggots out of adjacency. But yep. he left him there out of comfort or out of habit. I don't know, whatever, or just because he didn't care. Yeah, tunnel vision or the end of the event. But it's things like that. You have to know when it's acceptable to break your formation. Yeah. Like, um, the so you don't get tunnel vision. Yeah, definitely don't yeah. tunnel. Like and um, like just because you have a defend doesn't mean having like so a 19 defend or something right but you have an 18 printed it's better to have that 18 off to the side yes they might get punished but that's the only thing getting punished versus your team getting hit yeah so yeah just the, uh, split and make two formations have two carries it's run side by side but not next to each other the canadian nationals that you won there was another popular style of x-men team um that carried up with uh, um, who was the taxi on that team at that point? Lila. It was Lila. Still Lila. Lila's been legal yeah. forever, <laughs> or was was it was, was in modern head, forever. Right? Uh, yeah. So Lila. So they carried up with Lila and went into the boxing ring, um, and that was fine against a lot of teams. But the Harley ID card had just come out recently. Yep. So I, like two games in a row or something, I energy exploded an entire X Men team and double tokened them all, and then just got to win because my opponent was just standing in a boxing ring right next to each other and then in the um in the top eight against ed he just like sidestepped his figures away and he didn't lose immediately <laughs> i mean he also yep. didn't lose because you completely that might yeah, be really I, mean, I also screwed up everything else in that game. it was also important that he spread out his figures yeah, that's a great call spreading out your figures can be very important okay yeah. Um, anything else about positioning, or should we move on? Uh, no, I think that's it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's, there's billions of other things to say about positioning. Like, positioning is really complicated. I mean, uh, you should can't... be learning HeroClix and how to be good for just this. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that, that you can't... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you can't learn, you know, just from listening to people talk. There's a lot of stuff that's really hard to show in audio format. <laughs> so, yeah. that's what we have. That's the kind of tips and tricks that we can cover here um all right so the next is like overall macro game strategy um so i like to call this always play to your ends um this is something this is like after like really bad threat assessment this is the second most common thing that i see people lose games to um is just not knowing how to play when they're behind or when they're ahead the most common one i see is not knowing how to play when they're behind so somebody will be behind like 100 points and like running away or something um, or making attacks that don't kill things or um, refusing to make an attack that could kill something if it hit but is unlikely to hit because it's unlikely. It's like, all right, I at think, the point that you're losing. I think the best example of this, I don't know if you, PJ, were you there? Matty G against Tom at 2018 Rock Cup? Uh, was that like top four? Yeah, like where basically, yeah, where Tom, four. where Tom popped his Unimind, he was up on like he would have won if it was the win condition, basically. Uh, but Maddie kept on attacking Collins instead of main force stuff. Right. 
Like, the only way for Matthew to win was to table, but he kept on attacking Colin figures. It's, like, my best example of, like, not playing properly when you're losing. I also think it's important to note the definition of losing. Being down on points doesn't necessarily mean you're losing. (laughs) Like, if you're down, you know, 25 points, but the game state is way ahead for you, you need to understand that and play appropriately. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there I mean we the, just like, talked about traps, right? Like, if your opponent takes your bait, you might be behind for, like, a minute, so... And there's the game that I was talking about against the Immortal Hulk team, where I was technically down, like, 100 points for a lot of that game, but I was never losing. <laughs> I mean, I was if the game had ended, but, like, I there was plenty of time left, so I was still winning the game because I was just in a much stronger position. He had a 100-point figure that wasn't doing anything. Like, <laughs> I was still pretty much ahead on board. Um, yeah, you're right. The, the definition of losing is not behind on points. It's you're worse on board. You're in a poor position. Like, you can be ahead on points and just, like, have the absolute worst possible positioning. Oh, yeah. yeah you can, you be, can be losing the game. game. Yeah. You can be up and losing, for sure. Uh, definitely been there. Uh, especially on, mm-hmm. like, when you're looking at, you know, a meta where everything's squishy. Yeah. Like, yeah, for sure. Like, you know, you're up, but, like, your Blackheart has uh, has already generated both of his guards, and he's on last click. <laughs> you're probably not in a good shape. You're up a lot of points, but uh, for how long? <laughs> or um, one of my favorite, one of my favorite, like, mistakes that an opponent ever made was um, ran across the map with a Hawkeye, put his entire team in the center of the map, hit my hit and killed almost my entire team except for like two figures but one of them was a mangog oh yep which he attacked with yeah the tank. but tank so he didn't kill it <laughs> so didn't oh. kill it so the next turn i perplexed i like called in a harley and perplexed up mangog's attack by two and retaliated and killed his entire team he was up by so many points before i did that but it, like he was never winning the game <laughs> right yeah, so if you're losing, uh, the your priority should be to figure out what way it is possible for you to win the game. This isn't, I'm not saying what way it's likely for you to win the game. Um, there are spots where it's very, very unlikely. There are spots where the only way you win the game is if your opponent crit misses all of their attacks and you crit hit all of yours. Like, those are, those spots exist. But when you're playing them, if you're in a high, like, I mean, there are spots where it's bad enough that there's just, like, no point playing anymore, really unless you're in like some super high stakes tournament. But when you're in one of when you're in a spot where there's only one line that can possibly win you the game and it requires hitting like two tens in a row or something, just make the attack and try to hit two tens. Like you might win. <laughs> um, I mean exactly that's, that's kinda how you won Canadian Nationals, right? Like it the, is, the man yeah. gog thing and Yeah, I, yeah, I so. made a Mangog retaliation which literally needed an an eight to hit anything and uh, ten to hit everything, and then it, I rolled two eights in a row and then crit, and won the game. Sorry, to be, to be <laughs> like, clear, to the listeners, that's not the game that he won with. That he had to it win that game. Finals, he was definitely yeah. going to lose otherwise to get into the final. Yeah, so I like to talk about this as always playing your highest percentage line because there's no objective threshold for a good line. Um, the best the the best line is your highest percentage line, which could be a ten percent line, like. At the start of the game, it's probably not, but by the end of the game, if you're losing, there may be some really objectively low percentage lines that are still by far your best line that you should take. 
So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly in Top Cut. I don't agree with it at all during Swiss. Because there has to be a point in time where you accept that you lost and you have to score as many points as you can in order to ensure yes. your top cut. Yes, that is so very true. There, there are like lines, like you say, where it won't be lines to win, but it's going to be lines or how many more points can I feasibly score before this game ends? Mm-hmm. So that's when you start counting clicks of health, how many attacks you get to make before you die. Like, okay, their attackers double token. I'll get two whole turns to try to kill stuff. Maybe I can score 50 points. And you take declare your, your actions a little quicker than normal, so to make sure that you don't time out. <laughs> mm-hmm. What do you but mean? I call this Why shouldn't poison? I say I'm going to use running shot like this? What's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, in, but in top cut, yeah, just play what is. If it's going to give you a chance at all, just play it. Don't no need to concede it. You never know what's going to happen. You might crit against three probs. Who knows? This I mean, exactly, I think basically the, exactly what happened to me. I, I think the only the, reason that you should ever concede is like if you have no way of getting any points in Swiss and you want to conserve your stamina for the day. I think that's probably the only acceptable time to you concede. Have, if you have uh, only two damage pieces and they have two damage reducers and crit <laughs> doesn't kill them, like you have to crit them four times to kill them, uh, that's an acceptable concession. Yeah. Right. Basically, yeah, I mean, there there's definitely next times. My favorite concessions are you're left with only colossal retaliators with indifference, and your opponent has no motivation to ever make another attack. It's like technically the game's not over, but the game's over. Come on, (laughs) your opponent's not going to make another attack. So I got them down to just retails. All they had left was a surger, and I'm like, I'm not attacking anymore. Yeah, (laughs) I'm done. Happened to me. I, I I played one opponent who had a carnage, a mangog. A Surter and a Groot or something, and it was all they had left. And I was like, all right, well, I'm up on points. There's no reason for me to attack, so this game's over. Yeah. So so that so the the thing about like even really bad percentage lines can be the best line if you're losing is true. Um it's also true that sometimes even if you're not losing a line that's objectively bad percentage can be your best line. So if there's an attack that you can make that's really low percentage to work, but there aren't really any consequences for failing to hit the attack or anything, you should just make it. There's no such thing as an as an objectively bad attack. I see people do this all the time, and Jay, I'm sorry, I'm going to call you out of it here. (laughs) Where there are attacks, Jay is a very defensive player, which sometimes is really good. He's He's very good at positioning, but sometimes Jay will decide... I shouldn't attack, I should just clear here when there's like a, you know, eight with a prob against it that he needs to hit because it's pretty low percentage where, in my opinion, at least there was no disadvantage to making that attack. Yeah, if you're not I using... I don't remember the, the specific occasion, but you're probably right. I agree. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, a lot of the time that's good. Just If you have nothing else to do, just do it. Like, yeah. sometimes you, you might crit hit, you know, that feels good. Uh, hell, you might crit miss and get to make a Vulcan. Like, <laughs> it might be your third miss or your third hit. Like, you gotta, that's all things you have to track. And, it, like, a lot of the times, like you said, just why not? Yeah, like, I mean, I've had games where the best attack I can make yeah. needs, like, a 10 to hit. And it's like, all right, but other than that, I'm just standing here and letting my opponent kill me. So, sure. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's make this attack. Might work. Um, yeah, so that's something I see people do a lot, is they will look at a line and they'll decide they need a 9 and your, their opponent has a prop against it, so there's just no point in trying. And they might as well clear and hope that something magically appears next turn that's a better attack. 
which it won't if your opponent knows what they're doing. Like, there's a reason that that was your best attack last turn. Your opponent isn't going to give you a better attack next turn for no reason, right? <laughs> I did that to Az. Needed a 9 against a prob and hit it. Yeah. Like, you know, these are low percentage things, but if you're rolling enough dice, it happens eventually. <laughs> exactly. I'm and sure you've missed happen, enough two fives in a row in your life. <laughs> uh, yep. Sure have. <laughs> yeah so you should be able to apply that you know sometimes probabilities aren't absolute things can work even if they're unlikely to just making attacks sometimes um i really like doing this uh i've won a lot of games off the back of making attacks that my opponents get tilted about because they shouldn't have worked and it's like all right well you know theoretically but in an actual game there's nothing that shouldn't work <laughs> it's just right. sometimes it happens the no, only we have to move on bad. with our lives but you know if you want to be tilted the only, that's fine. That, the only ones that feel bad are when they're like all right need to crit and then they crit <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i got right. really tilted um when i was playing witch queen at worlds and two games in a row my opponents crit their first attack with no prob which was the only thing that got through my mastermind both times well, you should have had prob. Get good. So that, yeah. I mean, I did. They just positioned so I didn't line of fire. But yeah, like that tilted me. But you know, whatever. <laughs> yep. Sometimes things happen. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, I get tilted when every time I have a four. To, every time I have a four to six super senses rare, I have a daredevil. I get crit. But what can you do? <laughs> yep. Although to be fair, I don't have the worst uh, death of a, an unseen to a crit here. So that's fine. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> You know what? That was probably the best throwaway attack of all time. Because that was definitely yeah. a throwaway attack. Yeah, I was. I, I had lost that game. It was decided. And I was just like, whatever. Thug's going to shoot Unseen. Let's go. Yeah, PJ had a <laughs> I, thug and a Wolverine on last click left. <laughs> I will say, in my shadow box for that team, there is an Unseen laying on his side yeah. next to my thug. Oh, that's so good. You, you lost because awesome you had game. to buy an Unseen. So... <laughs> Uh, uh, I did not actually. It was given to me because it doesn't have a card. Very nice. Uh, the only I, use for it. I guess that wasn't on your team, so I guess it's okay for it to not have a card. I'll, I'll, I'll right. allow it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was a really, that was a really fun game, and that moment was incredible. A thug just, a thug is just like, I guess I have line of fire. Why not? Oh. Okay. <laughs> that yep. worked. I think he literally, I think he needed the crit to deal enough damage too. Yeah, well, yeah, because he doesn't even have, he has yeah. two damage and the knockback, yeah. Yeah, and you had the super, super sense. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, what a game. All right, so we've talked about if losing, we've talked about every, percentages are only useful in context. Percentages don't mean anything by themselves. You should only think about them in context of what your possible lines are, not just like a 20% is low, so I shouldn't do it. Um, the other thing to talk about is what you do if you're winning. Uh, so this is something that I'm not always good at. I frequently will not retreat when I should. If I'm like up on points and my opponent doesn't have a ton of reach, there are times where I should back off and let my opponent try to make it to me and pick them off as they're doing that or whatever. Um, and I don't always do that. <laughs> frequently, I'll just keep pressing. So generally, my philosophy about winning is if I'm winning and... My, and I push my advantage to the point where my opponent, all of my opponent's figures are dead, then they can't possibly get really lucky and come back <laughs> because they're dead. So 
that's frequently how I think about it. And that I think in general is a reasonably good way to think about it, but it, it misses a lot of things sometimes. <laughs> I uh I tend to play like I'm behind almost always. And yeah, I, I have people get mad at me when I'm when uh like I'm up and like I'm not losing the game. But I'm still like making methodical decisions, but I'm not like being slow. Like Chad just did that to me at this past event. He's like, Will you just hurry up and end this? And I'm like, there's a maggot left on the board who can heal if I don't control it properly. <laughs> so we are not going there. <laughs> yep. Like, I just, I well, always. That's, that's what I was saying before about if you're, if you are given, you can give up a losing, uh, winning game state. Like, you don't want to do that. And uh, yep. if you, if, uh, yeah, if you do that, then that's unfortunate. And you probably just don't want to be, you don't want to be Devin and go from a 100% win to not 100% win. Something Jay always gets on me about is um, making attacks when I can't possibly lose the game if I don't make an attack because I might crit miss. Yeah, has that actually happened in like in? Has that actually it's never happened to me? Game? My opponent in Team Worlds did it. Yes, the Team Worlds finals. The one where they had no business a... being there and they should have run away because they were up by like two hundred points or whatever. Yeah. yeah, and it's possible that eventually I could have cornered them and killed them anyway or something so it's possible that running away wasn't the right move right. I, I don't know you probably like, don't, don't want to do an attack on your last click you probably don't want to do an attack on your last click without prob with your one figure where i basically i, I mean you don't want to make an attack where if you you don't have to i don't like making attacks where if i crit miss i lose like that just doesn't seem like a good idea to me. That's, like uh, yes, it's I, my only possible attack but i don't want to make I mean, and only if you and only if you're winning no matter what anyway <laughs> reason why maggot if... exists is because somebody made an attack that they didn't have to and they crit missed like that is a that's an objectively correct statement so maybe i mean there was lots of time left in the round it's possible that something weird would have happened okay anyway, but that's but how it played it's 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 not unlikely <laughs> um that's like um so with the gene bomb team that we were making um when gene moves up and makes her attack during the mind control you just accept the miss like if it's a miss, <laughs> right. fun, you just can't let her crit miss, or then she dies without. Because then you just kill her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's right. like I make the attack. You you theme you use her theme prob if you crit miss. Otherwise, you just let it go. <laughs> yeah, a lot don't. of times I'm like, well, I could prob that. Like I don't like probs. I don't. I don't like probing things if it gets me out of probs, and then if I crit miss, I I don't like being in a position where if I crit miss, bad stuff happens. Yes, yeah. we've seen we've seen crit misses decide big games. Easton versus Patrick. Well, like, uh, Micah in uh, Team Worlds. Yeah, lots of things. <laughs> yeah, so definitely, if a crit miss would lose you the game, and you don't need to make the attack, or you can get an extra prob on it, or you can accept the miss to make sure that you don't crit miss. In that, unless you like crit miss twice in a row in your opponent probs, that you can't die to a crit miss then you should do all of those things because uh dying to a crit although miss, theoretically so. now a vulcan could probably get you more points than you could have gotten from that attack theoretically well unless your character dies <laughs> yes unless your character dies but that's when it's really bad on the uh, yeah and on the other end i don't like probing my opponent 
into a uh like i've had a lot of times where like i mentioned crit hitting against me but like yeah i'm gonna i'm my i only have one problem on it with unseen and then i probably them into a crit hit. it's like oh oh and now pj is gonna say that i shouldn't be playing, playing unseen because that means i'm bad or something yep <laughs> yeah uh, so my philosophy on end games is that i run away and like hide in corners only if I actually have the tools to control the game and less often than I should, even if, even when I do. But my worry about doing that is that if you leave your opponent's figures alive and they can still make attacks, then you always have a chance of losing. So my philosophy is that I should always, is that I always attempt to actually finish my opponent off, not leave them alive because I think positioning back further is a little safer. But yeah, it's understandable that somebody might not want to run away, or whatever, because it's not like fun or whatever. But at the end of the day, it is a competitive game, and like, yeah, yeah so we want to have as much fun as possible. But it's not fun. I don't know. To me, I don't like. I don't know. I wouldn't want somebody to just throw away their winning game state out of like. It's almost like out of pity. Like, it's like it's a, it yeah. is a competitive game. Like, don't throw away your chances of winning just because of like it's not unsportsmanlike or whatever i mean don't take forever but like if that's the play you should do don't like throw don't don't give me a pity like whatever like just you got to do what you got to do i had one game it was either at nationals or worlds where i told my opponent i was like hey from this point on i'm just gonna run and he's all like all right look and he reached out and he signed the sheet that i won he's like can we play it like you didn't see if i can win <laughs> okay yeah i can do that yeah, I've done that. I've had situations That's where hard. I was like, or like, I've had like, yeah, I've had games where I'm like, well, if I do do this, then like, this will happen for sure. So let's just like play and as if I didn't or whatever. Or like even a practice game, like, yes, I I could win the game automatically if I did X, but let's play it like I didn't. So yeah, that's a, yeah. a fun example. That's that's how you have fun with it. But yeah, like you said, don't uh, give up your win. Just try. Just to say, I didn't, well, I didn't run away. Um, that's like a team world um in philly whatever year that was um uh ed shelton all he had left was a nico minoru against a super rare thanos the 200.1 right and the nico pulled it out because aaron wouldn't run away with the thanos he just kept missing <laughs> and nico one at a time and wow and that's what got us in the top so actually wow. might have been that might have been top eight. I don't remember. But you made it to top four. I remember that. Yeah, we and then we lost horribly. <laughs> if you'd won that, you would have faced me in the finals. Yeah, we got fucking smoked. <laughs> like, I, and that was my me making a bad decision. It was why I lost, and I feel bad about that. Like I could have attacked needing a ten with all of my all of my probs with none of his. And then I get I'd like, I don't know, I'll get a better attack later. And then he hit exactly what we're talking about right now. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's no I such thing like, as an objectively bad attack. God will provide I, a better attack later. <laughs> I would have got a, I, if he didn't kill my team. I would have got a better because <laughs> he had plus two perplexes for everyone's defense. But I'm like, if any of those perplexes have to go to attack, then my attacks get infinitely easier to hit. But then he killed everything. But they went but to my, attack and then murder. <laughs> yeah, he killed everything but my Thanos Prime at that point. And I was like, well. <laughs> and then was still able to plus two defense the thing that was adjacent to Thanos. So I was like, well, this is oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Should have attacked me. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so actually something that PJ mentioned earlier, let's talk about it in a little bit more detail, is how you play differently in Swiss versus Top Cut. So there's a couple of interesting things about that based on how Heroclix scoring works. One of them is draws are a lot different in Top Cut and in Swiss. Um, right now, draws in Swiss are a 0-0 loss. You both get a loss. You get nothing that goes towards Top Cut. <laughs> you just lose. Sorry, 0-0 zero, zero uh, draws, not draws of points. Yes, 0-0 zero, zero draws, sorry. Zero zero draws are a loss. Um, in top cut, zero zero draws are a roll off. That's a lot different of a calculus to make. If you're in Swiss and your option is take a line that gives you a 5% chance to win the game or take a zero zero draw, you should take the line that gives you a 5% chance to win the game or score points even, right? Like scoring points in a loss is better than getting a zero point loss. Um, if, if right, unless, cut, um, um, right, it, Unless there's a weird situation where, like, it's, like, top table and you're undefeated and the other person might not make the... Um, there's, like... But basically... Sure. Yeah. Like, there's some scenario where... There's if exceptions, you but they're not If your opponent specifically about. scores points, they're the only person who can knock you out of cut or something. That seems very unlikely to me to ever come up. But it could, <laughs> I guess. Um, if you're in top cut, it totally changes. Because if you're taking a line that has a 10% chance to win you the game, and your other line is barriering in, in the corner forever, and your opponent's playing a one-man army that can't possibly get through it, then you barrier in the corner because you have a 50% chance to win the game. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Like, the percentages are totally different. Um, so, that's an in so that's one interesting difference between Swiss and top cut. The other one, like PJ mentioned, is... Uh, playing to win versus playing to score points is quite different. You never play to score points in the top cut. That doesn't make any sense. If you've lost the game, it doesn't matter how many points you scored. In Swiss, you play to score points all the time. There's one tournament, the Michigan Regionals that I won, where I only made top cut because in two games that I was losing, I went out of my way to score an unseen and a grandmaster that like, couldn't possibly have won me the game but I just needed to kill them because otherwise I scored no points for those games. And they scored me like 100, those two figures scored me like, you know, 140 points or whatever. And then I made the cut. <laughs> it, it, yeah, or, I was um, under no illusions that I was winning those games, but it's still worth continuing to play and absolutely. trying to score points as much as possible. Even if scoring points, those points gives up a lot of points in return, it doesn't matter. <laughs> scoring the points is what's important in Swiss. You really, you really do need to put effort into that. Yep. Okay. Um, that's so. Those are the only two differences between Swiss and Top Cut I can think of. Is there anything I'm yeah. missing there? No, it, it's just it. it you're, you nailed it. I mean, there's nothing to add to that. It's playing to win versus. Um. Playing. I mean, I feel like this isn't strategy, but I feel like opponents are going to be more within the realm of acceptability like this is this is me as well like opponents are getting more forgiving in swiss than single elimination sure you should like, rely on that for anything though <laughs> no i'm just saying it's a it's it's if we're talking general things it's important to keep in mind like there was one example where um chris stockhouse was playing the, the brainiac skull ship which uh, at that time if he went on certain <laughs> maps he had to switch it out to a superman which is really bad and like PJ and I, yeah, I think we basically we wouldn't do that to him in Swiss, but then yep. I had to do it to him in single elimination because like I remember that event. It was in Frankenmuth, Michigan. Yeah, it was a charity <laughs> event. Yep. Or I don't know. Like we talked about the uh, the um, immunity thing. Like I'm far more likely to let you get away with the immunity thing 
in Swiss and single elimination. But like that's not a rule, but that's just I don't know. I think that's worth keeping. You heard it here first. Be nicer in Swiss. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's going to tend to be true. All right. Is there any other like macro strategy things that we want to talk about? So we've talked about the difference between how you play if you're losing versus if you're winning, how there's no objectively bad lines, and the differences between Swiss and Top Cut. Mm, I don't think so. Not yeah, on I can't topic. think of anything else. I, I do have something I want to talk about yeah. that's not on your list. Sure. It's like a, would be like bullet point number four. I am. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm in no way under the illusion that I got literally everything that it's possible to talk about about Heroclix on this list. <laughs> um, so the thing that I, I said earlier that I think the difference between not good and good players is threat analysis. Mm-hmm. I think the difference between good players and great players is pacing and understanding understanding the tempo of the game. Um, so what I mean by that is knowing when to clear versus making more attacks that don't do anything. Knowing when you need to take kill their leadership. Um, knowing how to dictate the entire pace of the game. And I don't mean how slow or fast you play. I mean strictly in-game on map. Right. I, there are too many times where I've seen an opponent make an attack when they go to two tokens, where I get to clear first, or they go to two tokens and I am clear. Yeah. So what well, the reason that's such a problem is you attack me, hit or miss, doesn't matter. I get to make two attacks unanswered from that piece. Instead, if you just clear, sure, I get to shoot you, but then you get to answer back each time. Yeah, and it it partially depends how much you're... Like, if you hit them now, does it kill them? Or make it so they can't damage you? Yeah, this is assuming not dying. Right? Like, even game state, or... I don't know. There's, it's so hard to explain. Yeah. So I'm part thinking. of the reason, yeah. So part of the reason I didn't put anything like that on here is that I had no idea where to start. That's something that I only know by like feel, basically. Like when I'm playing a game, mm-hmm. I know when to do it and when not to. But I couldn't remotely explain to somebody else why I know that. You know. Yeah, <laughs> it's so hard. And I've even had people explain to me, like, well, why did you do this then, or why did you not do this? And I have to explain, well, I don't want that piece to have a token this turn. And another big part of it, like where you said, like attacking to attack, right? I do agree with that on a fundamental level. But if the game state dictates, you should not attack with that piece so that you have stuff to do on other turns. Because any turn where you do nothing is your opponent just taking an extra turn. Yeah. So if it means waiting to do that attack the next turn where you have like an extra perplex for it, then just wait. Yeah, so uh-huh. yeah, so when I was talking about just make attacks if they're your best possible attack, that I did include the the sentence assuming that the that there are no consequences for doing so. So right. that is definitely so that's a not obvious consequence is not being able to make attack, that attack next turn with a bunch of extra perplexes or something. Yeah, so let's say you've double tokened your entire team, you have a Faust who only has a 10 attack that can make an attack. But the next turn nothing can make attacks and your Faust can have 12 attack or something, then, yeah, <laughs> wait, don't don't make that attack then. There's That's a very, very good reason to not make that attack then. Yeah, I guess, the yeah, so... Way, go ahead. Go, no, you, you first. Mine okay, be a I was going to say, the easiest, way, the easiest way to win a Hero Clicks game is to do more stuff than your opponent does. 
Yeah, so, there's a reason out actioning has been so powerful for yeah. so long. And the reason that the double lasso thing with Wonder Woman is so powerful. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, one interesting thing about pacing, about the about the action token system in general, and about how most figures, although Willpower kind of screws with this a bit now, um, can't do anything when they're double tokened, is that it can change. We talked about threat assessment earlier. What's double tokened can change threat assessment completely. Mm -hmm. Like your opponent's Sky Tyrant is double tokened. They have another figure that can make an attack next turn. But a lot of people would be like, well, Sky Tyrant's a more powerful piece. I need to kill it now. But you can kill it next turn. <laughs> like that piece isn't doing anything. <laughs> so you might as well kill the thing that can actually act on your opponent's next turn so that it can't. I've done this a lot where you just like switch the ordering of threat assessment in your head based on this this piece can actually act and this piece is double tokened. So I don't actually care about this piece right now. I can kill it whenever it's not doing anything next turn. I have like this is assuming that you have actions to follow up with eventually and stuff, but you know, in general, you should absolutely right, you're not consider your attackers, like all that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean if you're double tokening all of your attackers and the other thing then the Sky Tyrant is like a much worse attacker, like, you know, just a one high evolutionary or something comparatively, then, okay, you probably need to kill the Sky Tyrant now. But assuming that you have some follow-up to kill the Sky Tyrant next turn, which modern teams really do, like, you're very rarely going to end up double-tokening your entire team. Um, and just having a turn where the Sky Tyrant can't do anything, but your team can, means that you can get into position to use those, whereas the Sky Tyrant right. can't, like, position defensively to get away. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's actually. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say thanks for bringing this up, just because I think it's a really important addendum to our earlier threat assessment discussion that I had forgotten about until you until you brought yeah. it up. And I think that threat assessment is a really clear way to talk about this. Yep. Um, otherwise, and I, it ends up being really abstract. And this point is what makes Blackheart so good. It's not like his values and like. His free attacking is cool and all that. <laughs> the fact that he clears his own action tokens means he just goes every turn. Yeah. That's like you're never being I can't I'm not gonna say never being out of action, but you're always doing something if you're playing Blackheart. Yeah, it's very so. true. Like he's he's important to the control, the flow control of the game. Yeah, I mean there have been successful teams in the past that aren't very good at this. Like um, you know, one man army unimind is not a tempo build right like you're not out actioning your opponent you're not caring about what actions your opponent can take most of the time other than it can change your threat assessment for what you're killing with the unimind um but overall that's not what that builds about but anything with more than like four or five figures cares deeply about tempo and double tokening and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. is it joe is it worth jokingly mentioning that we're not talking about the figure <laughs> I thought sure. it, but I just took a bite of my food. <laughs> I mean, tempo does help with tempo, but that's not. <laughs> I had to throw that in there at least as a joke. Oh, it was, it was a good one. <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess I guess it's worth talking a little bit for people who have been playing Hero Clicks for a while but haven't really gotten much into competitive. Uh, how this has changed now that pushing no longer exists. Um, so well, so when pushing was a thing, so it hasn't changed as much as you would think. 
because being double tokened is still really bad. <laughs> um, I would almost say that the existence of willpower in cosmic energy and like the new willpower power in general has changed it more than the removal of pushing damage. Um, I will agree with you there, yeah. But it, it has changed a little bit. So we'll talk about that and then we'll actually talk about willpower because that's an interesting point too. Um, pushing damage did affect a little bit whether you were willing to allow an opponent to take an action. So if your opponent, so it used to be that like if your opponent's figure had one action token and was on last click and like didn't have willpower and but could still make reasonable attacks, you would sometimes kill something else, even if that was the figure likely to deal most damage to you, because in order to deal damage to you, they had to kill it. So you might as well just let it instead of leaving their second best attacker alive. Now that's just not true. Like it doesn't matter what click your opponent is on, doesn't matter if they have one token now. Like the that very specific scenario, <laughs> like it's not a general thing really, but that very specific scenario no longer exists. So you shouldn't look at an opponent's figure that's on their last click and think that it's inherently much less valuable than a figure that's on a higher click, because as long as it still has reasonable combat values, it's not actually that much worse. I mean, we did lose. Uh, oh, I died because my my figure pushed and crit missed, so too close from KO. <laughs> that, mm -hmm. that's true. Yeah, that was uh, I was definitely feel bad that we lost. Lockjaw really misses that. Uh, uh. Yeah, so the other one is the introduction of willpower. Um, so one of the reasons why I don't like that version of willpower very much is that it messes with tempo completely. <laughs> there are figures that it used to be like, okay, well, it's safe to ignore that for a while because it would push to death if it did anything or it can't move that push to death is I'm talking about the Colossals. Um, that now with the Colossal willpower and normal willpower, you have to think about, but what if they roll the the 33% chance and just get to do something next turn? Right, I would so, word that as uh, it makes threat assessment impossible. Makes it, well, not impossible, but much more difficult for sure. No, it makes it, I mean, it makes it, You before it was a, it was a binary state, now it's not. Yeah, I mean, it's much, yeah, I mean, the math on, is a 33% chance of Sky Tyrant attacking more dangerous than a High Evolutionary attacking me? Not that Sky Tyrant has willpower, but let's say you've chosen as a Herald of Galactus for this example. This is a terrible sure. example. Uh, <laughs> well, you can just say he's next to a leadership. Yeah. Yeah. And that was always a thing, for sure. Um, but the positioning on it has become right. less relevant. It used to be that, like, you know, you could kill the leadership, and now you know that's double tokened. Um, that math is so much harder of like 33% chance of Sky Tyrant versus um, versus guaranteed High Evolutionary rather than no Sky Tyrant versus guaranteed High Evolutionary. Like that choice is easy. 33% chance versus guaranteed, that's much harder. Like usually I still lean towards the guaranteed because it's only a 33% chance, but it depends just how threatening it is. Like maybe Sky Tyrant's going to kill your entire team if it gets to move. it is it does make it a lot harder <laughs> and there's so much stuff with willpower right now that it's something you have to think about like almost every game <laughs> i find at yeah. least i well thinking about it there's really not that much willpower it's larger the the giants and colossals yeah i just see like when i play i just assume they're taking a token off 
Yeah, me too. Like, I, just, I treat them like I used to. <laughs> like, they're, just, they're attacking every turn. Like, I mean, they're a 60% chance, right? Like, they probably yeah. don't have two tokens in the first place, <laughs> unless your opponent was forgetting to roll their giant willpower. Right. They've done a lot. <laughs> I just realized I never once rolled for willpower's Blackheart when he was on a stop grade. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't either, actually. I mean, that was kind of because I was always killing a... Yeah, he's always murdering guards, but, like, but it's still like... But it's still relevant. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Anyways, the fact that there's a figure that can that can self remove two tokens in a turn—that's yes, crazy. Well, I mean, Justice Trait can remove two tokens. It just clears it. But um, yeah, willpower can two different methods of removing tokens. Yeah, like I don't know. I I don't like new will. Like Jason can do it too, right? New willpower and his leadership that can target himself. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I I agree. I I really don't like new willpower either. I'm hoping that gets changed at some point. We'll see. But until it is, unless it is, I shouldn't editorialize like this in a strategy episode. Let's just assume it is what it is, where I mean, maybe a, there is a significant portion of your opponent's right, figures might idea. take their... You never know. So how do you think of it, PJ, when you're facing a character with willpower, not giant willpower, because that's obviously much, much better than normal willpower. Yeah. Um, so do you think of them as double-tokened if they're double-tokened? I do. Uh, That's I mean, largely the shortcut I take as well. <laughs> is the correct way to assess things, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I treat them as that as that they're not attacking. Um, I make sure I understand what happens if they do. Yeah. So you know, if it's a tyrant who's still on click one, I will probably throw an attack at him to hit him for one at least. Yeah. Um, but if not, I'll make sure I'm spread out so he doesn't murder my team. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's another thing where it might not change your threat assessment, but it can change your defensive positioning anyway. Yep. That high evolutionary is still more threatening, but you wouldn't have bothered to split up because it was useful to be able to carry next turn, and now you will because a Sky Tyrant might be attacking you. Um, yeah, so it's really hard. Um, the shortcut that it sounds like both PJ and I take is if a figure with willpower is double tokened, it's double tokened. Um, that is definitely not always correct. Uh, we just haven't been in an environment with willpower for long enough, I think, that I'm totally confident on the math on that. I mean, nobody uh, has. Well, so yeah, no, that's I, I mean, I've always kind of done this, though, because, like, if I attack... With, like, somebody super next senses, to leadership or whatever? No, if, I, if I'm attacking into super senses, I assume they're going to miss it. Sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, but it, otherwise it, you would make the I'd say they should. So... I'm just going yeah. off of probability. Like, I under, yep. I'm not gonna like rage if they get it, you know. But I'm just, I'm going to play it like they, like it should play out. Yeah, and I think that's almost always correct. Um, there are times where that will be bad, and I think those will be obvious. Usually, where you'll I see mean, that if something ways... hits willpower, Sorry. you lose, right? Like, you know, I'm sure that there are. You know, you have a figure with a stop click. They only have two figures left you know that you can kill one of them on each of the next two turns. So, and if the Sky Tyrant hits his willpower, you die. Whereas if the High Evolutionary attacks you, you go to your stop click and then kill him next turn. Like, there's a pretty clear example where if we're assuming that Sky Tyrant won't hit his willpower is much worse than just killing the Sky Tyrant, even though he's double-tokened. Yep. So in that type of situation, you should think of it that way. But uh, I think usually the shortcut of a figure who's double tokened is double tokened is going to be a little better than uh, thinking about it in 
great detail. <laughs> yeah, it's spending spending more time on it than that is just wasting your own time because there's yeah. nothing you can do about it. But yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So uh, the the situation I'm talking about is like you're like in a very simplified end game basically at the point that i'm talking about right yeah. you know there are only three figures on the map and at that point it's pretty easy to think about okay well in worst case scenario i lose and there's literally no other way for me to lose this game basically so sure i'm just going to do this but yeah um, in more complicated game states it's going to be much harder to think about that kind of thing okay um did you have anything did you have any other notes about pacing or tempo uh, no, not really. Yeah, no. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I, it's still hard to talk. I don't know how to talk about it. <laughs> but I think I, I honestly think that we made a pretty good start. Um, thanks for bringing it up and uh, writing the threat assessment thing it hook to get us started on that because I would not have come up with that independently. I don't think. Okay, so the last thing I have um, is just really little tips and tricks that I use that are like specific on map things. So this episode has largely been about the larger strategy of a game of hero clicks. Um, but I do want to note a few things that I don't always see people doing that I think are useful tools for a game. Um, chaining sidestep carry provides a lot of movement, which I think most people have realized now that flyers can carry flyers. Um, I think that's the less common thing to do back when flyers couldn't carry flyers. Like multiple, like a trader with a space gem was always always gave a lot more movement than people thought it did, as long as you had another figure with a object of some kind to trade for it. Um, but now that you can play multiple chips or whatever, it's just gotten even more common there to is, see. There is a stream of my game at the Clicks Cup where I did a 14 square sidestep chain, get an outwit with the Sinister <laughs> on the one. And that's with mostly... Um, uh, Superman, Superman robots on there. Superman, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Sorry. Honestly, if you're not thinking about it, it can be extremely deceptive. You can think that it's going to be a lot less movement than it is, and then you actually count it out, and it's like, all right, well, it's only two squares. Oh wait, but then I place, and then I get to carry with that one, and then I get to place, and then I get to carry with that one, and then I get to place. It's like suddenly that's a lot more squares of movement than you thought you were getting from three side yeah. steps. <laughs> I remember I did that. To someone in or an earlier part of the event oh. and uh they were like is what you did legal i'm like yes <laughs> they're like all right i'll take your word for it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i remember with the double trader gardener collector team i at multiple points stole opponents objects from the fifth row out of their starting area and sidestepped back to one square outside of my starting area yep and my opponents were always like how? <laughs> How did you get that far back? I don't understand. Um, like, yeah. You can play scientists right now with like yeah. Yep, I was gonna back. say exactly that. You can sidestep literally to their starting area and back. I did <laughs> like because I was trying to convince Tommy Lytle to play that for a Clicks Cup, and right. I was like, all right, this is what you can do with just sidestep. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, really it became a lot stronger, huh? Yeah, it's just it's so crazy, like. The the bull that you can pull off when you have like five people wild carding Green, Green Lantern. Lantern. Yeah. Yeah, that is yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. So that's a really so that's a um something that I think a lot of people already knew, but if you didn't know, 
just how much movement chaining sidestep can get. I think that discussion <laughs> will, would let you know that it's a lot. Um, something that I don't see people doing as much as they can is retaliating on a figure with mystics that they attacked. Um, like PJ mentioned earlier, you do have to think about the placement thing, so you can't always do this after your alpha strike. But um, for example, I, I played against a team with three black hearts on it with my team with two black hearts on it. And he moved up, so I just went in penetrating energy explosion to all of his black hearts and then retaliated with the Dark Phoenix, and they were all on last click immediately. I don't think yep. I've ever been asked that question before. Which question? Was that the game where he asked if you could actually retell off Mystics? Yes, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember ever really being asked that question before. I remember winning a win a map when I debuted the Kobic tech. Mm -hmm. to, that was a fun thing. Shoot them with yep. the Cyclops and Mangog their whole team. <laughs> yeah, people who were around during Kobic uh, are definitely um, definitely remember that tech. I think, but uh, people who are newer might not. Yeah, um, using Mystics to activate retaliation can be really powerful. Usually, right now, like you can play Kobic, but she's not very good. So usually, your opponent has to actually have Mystics on board for <laughs> for that to work. But um, if somehow you figure out a better way to give your opponents mystics or something comes out in a future set, right. you should remember that it's an option. Um, right. or I, I, I almost yeah, played just... a... Sorry. I almost played an unthemed give people mystics with Kopic team for Canadian Nationals the year I won it. I don't think I would have won it if I had, but... You almost played <laughs> it was, a lot it was of a teams, finalist. Though. Yeah, I mean, I built like 12 teams the day before or something, but, you know. Um... Okay. That's the uh, great thing about Valeria Von Doom is that with her her uh, retail or her placement thing, it doesn't matter that she deals damage to an opposing character because they've already been placed. They can't be going anywhere. <laughs> All right. Um, autonomous figures uh, with low attack values like constructs or when Star was around, Star fights for the absolute best at this are great at activating trouble alerts. Um, I have done this quite a lot. If you have a zero-point figure with Autonomous, then getting one of your misses in with it is really easy. So figure, they figure really should not have given the, uh, that one Green Lantern construct uh, range. They should really should not. Yep, yep, that's the modern example. <laughs> um, it, it definitely helps activate your trouble alerts if you can just miss two attacks normally, and then you just wouldn't normally have bothered making an attack with that thing because it has no attack value. Uh, but in this particular case, it lets you bring in a Black Falcon and then you win the game. So definitely remember to think about that. Um, to um, note that, just an, an added tip while we're talking about trouble alerts. Um, I see too many people, as soon as they get their third hit or miss, they do it. You can reposition the piece that is bringing it out first. Like, if you crit miss and you can make a Vulcan, you can then carry them into position and make the Vulcan. Like, you don't have to do it right that second. <laughs> Yeah. I remember seeing somebody who thought that it happened, like, he thought that it just As happened the in the middle of his, or yeah. sorry, he thought it happened automatically, so he did it in the middle of his flurry, and then his opponent was like, oh, so you didn't do your second attack, and he's like, oh, I thought it was automatic, Oof. whatever, so yeah, you can, uh, it's a free action, yeah, so do that. Yep, so that, that's, that's a good point. Um, yep. That's how I didn't lose to Chad two events ago uh, in Top Cut, ironically, because that's where I always play him. Because I crit missed on his Dark Phoenix that had immunity, or that had the mastermind thing to somebody who was immune, and I was like, well, shit. And I was like, wait a minute. 
I can get up there and poison that bitch. <laughs> so I did. Oh, you know, so you were bad, but you got really lucky. Is that what you, that's what you're saying? Okay. No, no, no. I got really unlucky, and then I was good. <laughs> I in the same in the same tournament in subsequent rounds, Tom and I against Emily. Crit missed our first attacks and called in uh, a trouble alert to hit her vul- her vulture. Actually, it was back to back tournaments, <laughs> but it was just like. But I still lost the game. Tom won his. <laughs> Didn't Tom also funny. use his he super KO'd, to yeah. pick up the arms? He KO'd the arms with the with the super band trouble alert because he crit messed wow. with his call in. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, trouble alerts are make for really weird games sometimes. Um, but they exist and don't cost any points for some reason. Uh, okay, this is one that I really love. People don't think about how Colossal, or they didn't used to as much, think about how Colossals with sidestep can just carry anything on your team, even if you're not usually using them as a taxi. So if you are using a figure, if you're like doing a running shot with a figure, I really love doing this with Cyclops Sentinel, who has like crazy reach. Um, So you send your Cyclops Sentinel out, it makes an attack, and then you move your Dark Phoenix up, and you sidestep back carrying your Cyclops Sentinel. And suddenly your Cyclops Sentinel is back six squares and can't be attacked. So Sidestep carrying backwards with anything, but especially I find with colossal people don't do it with colossals because they don't think of them as taxis, um, is a great way to save your attackers from being in poor positioning. Yep. The show. That's something I've leaned on a lot. <laughs> honestly, like, like you said, it, like it doesn't even have to be colossals. Like, yeah, just doing that in general, <laughs> like. Yeah, it works with a lot of things. I just find that people don't think about it with Colossals. Right. But yeah, I mean, totally. If you have a chip on your team, but you have ranged attackers, move up and sidestep back, and suddenly you're back a bunch of squares. Especially if you have another thing that's wildcarding Green Lantern with sidestep or whatever. Suddenly you're back in your starting area. Combine two of the tricks we've given you here. (laughs) Make yourself real safe. Tell Leo that if he wants to be on the episode, he should answer my messages next time. All right, I'll let him know. <laughs> All right, he's, he's talking the I think Toy that Story. was it for the document, right? Uh, yeah, that that's all I had. I'm sure there are okay. myriad other tiny little tips and tricks. Those are the ones that I do a lot myself and don't always see my opponents doing, but um, I'm sure there are tons and tons of others. We, I don't, I don't think. I think maybe I don't I don't think that we could have possibly covered everything, but Ben Chung did write that book, right? So I don't know what it's called or but uh probably get that somewhere still, I'm sure. So That's a thing. Yeah, I yeah, I think yeah, he wrote a yeah, he wrote a book on I don't know if that was about hero click strategy, but he wrote a book of some sort, so I was like totally remembering the nature of the book wrong, but yeah. Well, neat. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so a lot, so if you I do want to say something um where uh I got a lot of this stuff from playing a lot of other games as well. So if you're somebody who plays a lot of other games and you have strategy content in those, you can think about because there's not a lot of HeroClick specific strategy content, I don't find. Like there's specifics for specific teams and stuff, but as like, you know, overall ways to think about the game and stuff, there has been some, but 
it's not you know every week or anything whereas games like magic have a lot of strategy content coming out constantly and i find that a lot of the lessons cross over um like you know the how to play if you're losing or if you're winning is something that i thought about independently but i've also seen a lot of people that i follow in the magic space talking about that kind of thing as well yeah i've, I've had people in hero Clicks recommend me mark rosewater's uh, content as well yeah uh, yeah, Rosewater's a fantastic writer. <laughs> and a fantastic game designer. <laughs> well, yeah. But, I mean, he, he articulates himself very well to yeah. a point where it makes sense and isn't uh, impossible to read. Like, you don't fall asleep, <laughs> even though the information is boring, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a really entertaining guy as well. Um, yeah, so, you know, if you play other games and seek out strategy content, you can think about how you can apply it to Heroclix as well. None of the like, you know, specific stuff about the gameplay of the game is going to match, but stuff about macro strategy can frequently cross over fairly well between games. Especially if you're if you play another game with a lot of probability in it. A lot of ways to think about probability are pretty constant across games in general. Yep. Well, that's the thing. Probability is one of the main hidden factors in Heroclix now. Like that's basically when you sit down, that's like one of the only things you don't know. Now that everybody knows all the dial information, or whatever, so it's mutually unknown. So right, right, but still, yeah, nobody can play better. I mean, so it's mutually unknown, but there can be an imbalance in your understanding of it, right? Like, you know, yeah. if you know that a seven with three probs behind it is incredibly likely to hit, and your opponent doesn't for some reason, that's a bad example because, like, probably everybody knows that, but um, if they didn't, then that's a pretty huge imbalance in your favor where they might position so that you can make that attack because they don't think it'll hit or something like that. Um, okay, so I have um, I get to go on to our two questions. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Tyler asks, do you like playing question or answer teams? Uh, and do you always have the first two turns planned out? We answered the second one. I asked him to define what he meant exactly. I, I think I know what he means. Maybe PJ wants, or maybe somebody else wants to be 100 percent sure. Is that is he referring to the kind of teams that he plays? I, so I think it's a I think it is a multiple choice question. Like I think he's are you are you the one ask, uh, demanding the answer or are you the one giving the answer? Right? Like so. Okay, so what I thought he meant was like when he like a whale scene where he moves up and then you have to like deal with it, like where you have to. Yep answer what he's doing right that's that would be a question oh are you like quite playing question or answer teams okay yeah. i see that now i, I mean yeah. i could be wrong i could be missing this completely um, yeah i, I think asked you're right. to clarify but he didn't he didn't so so like this is also answer teams would be more defensive and question teams would be more aggressive in my mind yeah i agree with that um, um i mean we know and i think so i think one of the important things about so i think actually question so I, I agree with you in general. I think question teams can, question and answer teams can be more aggressive or more defensive. Um, and I think usually question teams are more aggressive and answer teams are more defensive. I think there are question teams that are defensive. Like I think, for example, I make 20 squares of barrier a turn and do nothing else is a question team that's extremely defensive. Because um, it asks the question, can you deal with 20 squares of barrier in a turn? Right. Um, whereas, uh, an aggressive answer team, I think, like the Double Trader Gardener team, 
I use that team as an example a lot because I won with it <laughs> and because it's a really unique team, I think, um, is a more aggressive answer team where it just had access to a really large variety of tools um, and you could use them to beat whatever your opponent was doing. So, you know, it had the tank if your opponent had grouped up or had multiple things that it could kill and it had a bunch of different IDs and it had gardener attack from carrying across the map and it had collector to pick up a uh, an opponent's object if that was their threat like against vultures before the psylocke id card came out taking their arms was a pretty good way to make it so that their charge just didn't really do anything to your team um so i think there are examples of question and answer teams that are the opposite of usual but i do think in general like you know alpha strike is definitely a question team and there are a lot of really defensive teams that are about having an answer to whatever your opponent's doing like robots, I think. What do you think robots is actually? It might be a mix. Uh, I actually think it's a question team. Okay. Uh, just because, like, I don't think there's a good line of play against it. If that makes sense, like, right. Like, well, the question is, how many how many bad decisions are you going to make against me? Exactly. <laughs> I will I will nickel and dime you until you make your decision correctly eventually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, right, the actual, so we've defined question and answer teams. The actual question was whether we prefer to play question and answer teams. Um, I think I generally prefer question teams, but I'm perfectly willing to play answer teams. I exclusively play question teams. I I, I don't like, I mean, I have played answer teams, but they're boring to me. Right. I, I want to put, I want to be the one pushing the pace of the game at all times. You want to be asserting your will on the game, not letting your yeah, opponent dictate pace? Huh? Yeah, right. fun. So can you, can you just define it again quickly for me? Okay, so question team is you have like one very specific thing that you do really, really well, and your opponent has to be able to answer what you're doing or they lose. So, you know, Magnet Alpha Strike, your opponent either has to be able to survive it or have a Lord Doom or something, or they've definitely lost the game. Answer team is you can let your opponent have the initiative a little more and have the ability, have like, you know, a couple of outwits and a little bit of barrier and a couple of retaliators and just answers to whatever your opponent's doing so that they can't do their primary game plan. I think I would, I would lean towards a question then for myself. Leo agrees. I'm glad. I agree with him on a lot of things, apparently, including objectively good, good pizza. <laughs> oh, sorry, that was quite loud. Don't worry. Loud but adorable. It's it's better content than what I provide. So, uh, uh, Chris Talk asks, asks, do you think it's possible in a normal competitive event to get Master Bolt's factory dial to a free Nimrod, and then use Nimrod to score enough points to win? And I said, those are rookie numbers. You got to pump up those numbers. Uh, short answer, no. Not possible. No, I mean, what? You can only do it maximum, like, twice a turn? Yeah, well, yeah. So, I mean, you can play Master Mode of 200 and get three a turn, right? Can you? I just don't remember. I'm just... I think he just gets, like, a click a turn. I don't remember either. He has, to lead, he has to leadership success. He can leadership successfully and choose to do it. And once per turn, when an opposing character takes damage from a, an attack, if it was a, a Sentinel and robot attacker. Yeah, and yeah that's not going to happen also, that frequently. I think he also has a thing that says if you're he's at 200 once per turn just get a click. 
I'm not. I'm not seeing it. I mean, I like you do have to click it up eight times. So yes, that's at least four turns of yet to succeed leadership, and you have to hit an attack. No, it's not. I don't think it's that. That's not the it. hard part. I mean, the hardest part is um, then scoring enough points with the <laughs> thing that you called. I don't in. think Nimrod's going to score enough points to justify bringing him in. Not when you can that- bring in like three Cyclops Sentinels or some shit. <laughs> um, much quicker too yeah. yeah and and pj is correct uh it's on the factory dial not the 200 point line of master mold if you pay ah. 375 points or 200 points for master mold at the beginning of your turn click this dial once there uh, okay you're right so yeah. if you have the doom map bonus where you get to reroll your leadership and you have the orcus factory upgrade then you're making a fair number of sentinels but i i don't think it's worth See, you're, but you're not playing him. You're I not playing him at 200, though. But yeah. even even if you do, right? Here's what's going to happen. You're going to hit that leadership turn one. You're going to hit that attack. You're going to get that free click, and then you're going to stop at 50 and make a Cyclops symbol. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really don't see the reason not to. Like, he's just way... Or, I, you know, he's just way too good for the 50. Like, why would I not want that? Like, I want that every time. I mean, Nimrod is... In essence, a don't die piece, right? So, like, Pretty why much. am I waiting to generate a don't die piece instead of generating something aggressive earlier in the game? Yeah. But, I mean, oh, the question I... was whether it was possible, not whether it was advisable. I don't think it's possible. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It's I possible. Yes, yeah, so the question is, is it possible? And then use Nimrod to score the points. I, I just... Yeah. No. No. I, and it's objectively wrong. So I no. think if you played it in like many tournaments in a row, you would eventually do it once. So it's probably technically possible, but I, well, the really, he, really unlikely. Yeah, I guess if he's only means one time, then yeah, sure, it's possible. But for a reliable strategy, absolutely yeah. not. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Hell, I'd rather make for 175. I'd rather make 17 of that 10 point bystander. <laughs> like, <laughs> That. Oh or, man, you can actually, can't you? Because it's power yeah. generate any number of characters, any number of characters <laughs> exactly. for one power action. <laughs> wow. Yeah, like I'm just I'm hard pressed to ever want Nimrod, and then even if that was like your your diet, you were definitely doing that strategy. I'd rather just go to 200 and get Omega. <laughs> like, oh man, that's that's a really good point. Jeez. Dial right, it's one more click. Why not just wait another click and use Omega, who actually is a threat? Yeah. That's why we uh, we brought you on. Asterbolt is interesting. All the smarts. I've been I've been trying to build with him, like the last week or so. Of course you have, yeah. I don't even know if I'm gonna play him on robots though, because I feel like robots kind of suck right now <laughs> in the current meta. But wait, I see you, that- you mean because because if because it's your fault because of Gene Bomb, yeah. No, the gene bomb is fine. The gene bomb is beatable. It's Exodus. It's not. Right. <laughs> the fact that Exodus is on the gene bomb team. Who cares about the actual gene bomb? Yeah, like he one shots all the constructs. Yeah, that's pretty bad. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're used to being able to position them really aggressively, so you just like don't really have barrier, and then you can't position them aggressively, so then you right. don't do anything instead. Like, yeah. I mean, he also has what he goes on Latveria and Ruler, so yeah, I mean. Oh, he has great keywords. 
And he's just a cheap. He's just a, like one of the. He's just like the cheap leadership a lot of people wanted for like some teams. Yeah, and not for nothing. Right. He's still eight range, two targets. Like, <laughs> and uh, robots. Wait, he doesn't have like, a. He doesn't have a, um, yeah. indifference. Jeez. No. Wow. He doesn't have retail. Why would he have indifference? <laughs> You're not wrong. Getting him two people is an issue, but he doesn't have indifference. <laughs> Yeah. If your opponent stops and stands attacks, near him for some reason, then if your yeah, if he's attacking, your opponent's messed up, and you're probably gonna win anyway. Like that's them just mind or something. Too bad yeah. he's like way too much money. Also, before we get into the ad read, you can win one because I've announced some of the prizing for the next charity tournament, which is going to be for uh, an undetermined children's hospital or a similar charity. I don't know exactly what, but something in the lines of uh, that. And hey, among well, the prizes, I, include a Master Bowl that I, I donate. So. I don't know if this is a thing up by you, but Ronald McDonald's house, have you ever heard of that? Yeah, we have commercials for that here. Yeah, like, or the chat was talking that, about the Shriners hospitals or whatever, like, yeah, that's sort of After I found out what the Ronald McDonald house did, there's, like, not a charity in the world I support more. Because like okay, do you wanna you wanna tell people about it just in case that's what we go with? Sure. Yeah. So like the local one here is the only one I can really speak to. Um, I I had a friend of mine at work whose daughter was born early and was super sick, had to go to Riley Children's Hospital. Um. So what the Ronald McDonald House did is they paid for a hotel for them and provided them food for the two weeks that they had to stay with their daughter. They took them to the hospital. Uh, provided them lodging, provided them food, um, and had a place for them to do laundry and everything. Like, all out of, all, like, no expense to the parents. Wow. So, like, That's it was. I mean, I mean, there's also, like, the hospitals that don't charge people, like, you know, like that, something like that. Like, oh, there's, yeah, there's a bunch of, I mean, yeah. kids are well taken care of, thankfully. Um, there just needs to be more of it. So, I, I think there's, you can't really go wrong picking, yeah. uh, but, like, yeah. if Ronald McDonald House was the only one I could think of that wouldn't be, like, a local one to somebody, right? Because yeah. like, everyone's going to be biased. Yeah, that, that was the other, yeah, yeah, we didn't want to do one that was too local, and then people would be not necessarily as interested. Yeah, that's a good point, so. But, yeah, yeah. we uh, we have the Discord. I just put a post on the page about it that you can get into the Discord. We've already, uh, I'm waiting on exact confirmation of what the donations are from this person, but somebody's donating uh like a dark phoenix cyclops and a full set of the uh phoenix five chases and other stuff that's awesome nice and I will yeah something but i don't know yet what yet <laughs> yes i will also probably donate some prizing it won't be another ultra chase because i don't have one uh but i don't know what it will be <laughs> i don't have one either because i'm still fuck i'm oh, <laughs> waiting on you yes um, that's true i was gonna use like an, an f-bomb for rtfc but then pj kind of wasted it so that's okay um so that information's up uh the plan is for it to be around q one are you doing uh the same thing with like uh other j sorry say again i'm just talking my lungs out um are you doing the same thing that you did last time with other j like doing the online sealed yeah the, yeah, the plan is to do exactly the same thing. Although, I mean, amounts of pro- amounts of cost of stuff might be shifted a little bit. But yeah, basically the exact same format with sealed mulligans, charity probs, 
Um, Might not have to be three booster sealed this time, depending on set. Yeah, yeah that's what I was saying. So we have to see about the set because like it's 2022. So we'll see about Empire. We'll see about War of the Realms. We'll see about Disney. I think that Disney would be a theoretical good one just because it's appealing to people. To you know, it seems like a, th- a set that people want to play, but we'll have to see. How oh, is that going to be a full booster set? I think it is. I think they That's confirmed cool. that it is. I haven't really been paying attention. I'll believe you if yeah. you say they did, that they did. <laughs> so, but yeah, we have to see. Normally, they they say when it's a feed. Yeah, that's Pardon? right. So, I don't know. I would think it would be a... No, because the solicit definitely said booster brick. Okay. Yeah, so, nice. 47 booster brick. That'd yeah, cool. I remember the rock. Uh, it also depends because if like if stuff that's now gets delayed and that gets delayed, I don't want to wait too long. But I, I want to do it March or April at the latest. So we'll really have to see how the sets shape up. So... I mean, because we only had a couple sets since Future Foundation since this last set, so since the last event, so. But yeah, um, so yeah, check out the Discord for all the information. Everything I just said was only one donor, and then the Master Mold. I am donating a, a Master Mold and then a full set of the Wonder Woman buy by the case stuff. So the Falcon, Plastic Man, Grodd, Luther, and Brainiac, and I also realized I have some extra Legacy cards from Wonder Woman. And then for myself, an undetermined Chase Prime set. I have to decide. I have to figure out what it'll be, and you know, what I can get and what's appealing. So maybe, maybe from one of the upcoming sets, I'll have to see. So yeah. So that is otherwise it for today. I want to thank the co-hosts. I want to thank our patrons whose support helps us pay for hosting fees, which just got renewed because apparently this has been going on for like a year now. Patreon.com slash JSA clicks. We have a patient discord, early access to episodes and other benefits at even at the lowest tier. If you want to use Podbean services. We have affiliate links so you can get a free month of hosting or you can get free ad credit. If you want to do advertising with them, we have all the usual social media under JSA clicks, including a Facebook page and group, a Twitter, Instagram, uh, we have our friends and show affiliates who have their own content. PJ is on Critical Clicks with what's his name for some reason. Uh, Devin Adams has the Happy Little Hero Clicks. Oh, sorry. PJ also has the uh, Kilted Clicksman Facebook page. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> and YouTube channel, I think. No. Facebook. Okay. Uh, uh, Devin Adams has Happy Little Hero Clicks YouTube channel and Patreon. Aries has the Facebook page and Patreon and other stuff under addition up clicks and it goes out saying that i need to ask if you are if you've heard of clicksnexus.com thank you so much for listening and we hope that you make sure to tap on the next time you play hero clicks whether it's competitive or casual